0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now. On BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Thursday to you, the day I go to the dentist. (laughs) do you have reason to worry no i don't know no it's just a checkup or whatever they do does it always bug you yeah
3: do they put the uh what is that thing the thing that holds your mouth open do they drop that in there you know they
2: don't do that a lot to me i think i have a big mouth yeah my my dentist
3: doesn't do that i went to another dentist once and they pulled out this contraption put it in i'm like what are you doing
2: it's just i don't i'm uh, they scrape your teeth you don't like that Uh uh-uh so I realized that I my whole body just tenses up for mm. about 30 minutes. Wow. It really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. So uh, get ready for that. Yeah. You know, it's something everybody does, right? Twice a year. With teeth scraping. Wait, twice a year? It's the plan. Um,
4: I thought it was like once every other uh, Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, that's
2: you don't the,
3: have to do it twice a year. That's the fraud they've tossed on a, on the public, make you go twice a year and pay for it. <laughs> the I fraud. mean, wait, did I say that out loud?
2: No, they're wonderful people helping you be able to
3: chew it your just, food till you're ninety. It's like my my eye doctor. I can't get my prescription after a year, right? It, right. The prescription yeah. runs out, so you have to go get another eye appointment. Right. Gotta, I go in, my eyes haven't changed. I get the exact same prescription and go back and get more. Well, you know why? It's because apparently you're going to your dentist.
2: It's the wrong guy. Oh. Oh. Yeah. You can't get your prescription after a year? It it expires after a year. Well, don't you get it right when you... I always get it right when I get my eyes done and then I've got it.
3: Well, yeah, but... Then I use it later. I get a year's worth of contacts. Oh,
4: you get contact lenses. And then they run out. You don't go to one of those all-in-one doctors that kind of just do a little bit of everything? Wow. Do they still have those? (laughs) I've been going to they? my whole life they're like in a tent in the at the fair dr well, joe <laughs> it's a it's a little nicer than a tent oh is that where you got your elixir it's <laughs> i think his name was like harold hill or something harold
1: hill yeah it's
4: more of one of those uh, you've
3: got
1: gout
4: <laughs> you know those portable
2: carport type things yeah. you can buy at the big box stores a little lean to <laughs> yeah good times oh we've all got dentist stories don't we Today, by the way, is Letter Writing Day. Hmm. World Letter Writing Day was established by Richard Simkin as a tribute to the joy and excitement he felt when a handwritten letter would arrive in the mailbox. Who,
4: who, yeah, who are you sending that letter to, Matt?
2: Grandma. Uh, grandma, who has passed.
3: <laughs> well, no, I just, when I was a kid, talking about my I would send a letter to my
2: grandma. Would you
3: really? That was like the only person you'd write. When was the last time you got a hand letter written in the mail? My uh, aunt. Okay. Who you cannot read
2: a word of what she writes on that postcard. But I miss that. That's a neat thing. Like a thank, I'd get a thank you letter now and then, and if it's legible. Yeah, but even if it's not, it's like, hey, they tried. <laughs> I go,
4: well, look at that, and just you know, off it goes. Written. I'm I'm convinced that if letters from the IRS or you know creditors came handwritten, I think people would respond
2: more. Oh mm. yeah. Dear Mr. Johnson, this is Chuck from the IRS. <laughs> hey Chuck. We found some discrepancies in your paperwork. Yeah, I think I think it's a. we need to all try to write a letter today. And if you want, put a check in it. Send it. To the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> i care of Matt Townsend. Today's also No Rhyme or Reason Day.
5: Cool beans. Cool beans. Be- cool, cool beans. Cool beans.
2: Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool Wow. laying down a beat today. All of a sudden turned into something there. Cool beans.
6: Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans.
2: Cool beans. Cool, cool. Beans, beans. Cool,
3: cool, beans, beans. cool. No But it exists somewhere. That's a cool song. Cool beans. Speaking of something with no rhyme or reason, did you see the music video that Joe Scarborough put together about Trump? No. We can't air most of it, but it's fun. Really?
2: Yeah. Yeah, they're in a little battle. A little little Which is interesting because the news beat up Joe Scarborough for basically having an emotional affair with Donald Trump.
3: He was a Trump surrogate for about six months, and then all of a sudden something flipped. Yeah. And then Maybe it's when Trump started calling out his relationship with his co-host that isn't public yet,
2: allegedly. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did it go there? He's done I, mean, I, like, I hear those rumors. I didn't know he's done Trump multiple was the times. one announcing it.
3: Well, no, I don't think he started it, but he's certainly done everything he can to keep it going. Cool, cool, cool. Beans.
2: <laughs> no rhyme or reason. No rhyme or reason day. This, that's why this is my favorite day, because it doesn't matter what we say today, because there is no rhyme or reason. Ah, hey, we've got a great uh, guest coming up. Uh, interesting topic because a lot of people think, well, who cares? Well, the people of Louisiana went through a 100 year flood. It's like their fifth one in the last 10 years or 20 years. But apparently suburban sprawl, poor preparation, and the fact that Louisiana, a lot of it's underwater means that every time there's a flood, there's a, nat- a natural disaster millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of damage, 30-something thousand people displaced for time. So what in the world is going on in a state that's underwater? How do they keep having the similar problems over and over again? We'll be speaking with a professor who's been studying this and the the floodplains of Louisiana for years. He's going to walk us through how maybe... The help that's been provided historically has made it so people tend to forget you're still in a flood zone, flood zone and a floodplain. So we'll talk about that coming up. Plus, of course, a lot of headlines Uh, later in hour number two of the program. We are going to revisit. uh, We're going to have another meeting with uh, Mr. Maurice Pluto. Mo Pluto. Yes, the planet, the dwarf planet. He's going to come in and help us understand if there's a way to protect ourselves from asteroids that could hit the earth there's an asteroid uh, i guess that should be hitting the earth in about 150 years i kind of look at it like not my problem I'll i will be, be dead <laughs> i didn't think that guy would would accept our invitation to come back i know he he did though because we apologized we sent we sent a fruit basket And so Mo Pluto will be with us in hour number two. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's up?
7: Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump's self-declared softening on immigration has now gone replaced by a recommitment to a hardline policy that could best be described as mass deportation. Shouting his remarks to a fired up crowd in Arizona, which has been home to some of the most contentious immigration policy fights of the last decade, Trump pledged a maximal approach that would target every undocumented immigrant in the country. He said, There will be no amnesty. Our message to the world will be this. You cannot obtain legal status or become a citizen of the United States by illegally entering our country. Millions of Americans were bracing this morning for a tropical storm that threatened a storm surge of up to nine feet in Florida as well as a dangerous rip currents along the east coast. So-called Tropical Depression 9 strengthened into Tropical Storm Hermine in the Gulf of Mexico late last night. The U.S. Supreme Court declined on Wednesday to reinstate North Carolina's voting restrictions for the November election. The high court deadlocked 4-4 on whether to let the state reimpose key provisions of the 2013 Republican-backed voting law, seen by many experts as the strictest in the country. Last month, a federal appeals court blocked the law's voter ID provision, its reduction of the early voting period from 17 days to 10, and its elimination of a popular pre-registration program for high school students. The appeals court found that those provisions targeted african-americans with surgical precision and violated the voting rights act and lastly this one is my nightmare multiple reports that menacing clowns are lurking in the woods, sometimes allegedly offering kids cash to follow them, have the residents of Greenville, South Carolina, looking over their shoulders and even brandishing guns. What? According to the incident report, multiple residents, some of them children, said they saw the clowns, who they said were carrying flashing green laser lights, creeping around on the night of August 21st. Some of the kids said the clowns showed them large amounts of money, but when the deputy canvassed the abandoned house the kids said they'd been lured to, nothing suspicious was found. So the investigation Whoa. is still ongoing to the creepy clowns in South Carolina.
4: I think Tim Curry was one of those clowns. Tim Curry.
7: Who's like the clown in the nightmare.
2: movie It? Uh,
7: sounds like my worst nightmare. Clowns
2: with cash, folks. Nothing could be worse Keep than your kids that. inside. That is scary, Caitlin. Man alive. Hey, let's just give you a little advice. Never, ever take cash from a clown. No. Nothing good is going to come of that.
4: And usually it comes out of like a little tiny suitcase. Yeah. They keep it in a tiny suitcase. And the
2: money just keeps coming out. Just coming out, like coming out, coming out. They didn't find anything in the house. Yeah, Not even no, like a red nose. There was
3: no signs of no big shoes. <laughs> there was no red wigs or, you know, the pancake makeup that they you wear when you go on TV.
2: One hair, a red hair. Ooh. Yeah. That, that's right. The pictures
3: are scary, and everyone just flashes back to that TV miniseries when I was a kid, it. It and you had the clown, he's in the ah. in the clothes that are on the clothesline, the the towel like the the, the the blanket or like their sheet or whatever waves in the wind and there's the clown and then it waves again and he's gone and he's a monster. Just, oh.
4: We all float down here. It's creepy. He
3: goes into the sewers. It's just a crazy movie. No rhyme or reason day. That's the show title today. It's one of those my mom went, Don't watch. And so I watched it. Don't watch it. Mama gonna watch it, but don't you watch no, she didn't it? Watch it either. Didn't she? She's That's... Like,
2: Clowns are creepy. I I'm mean, done. except for those that are really
3: neat and cute. Well. <laughs> that one. Depends on who you are. Speaking of.
2: Speaking of. Um, clown cars? It, it. What are you going to say? Uh, Donald Trump. He went into Mexico, conquered it.
3: His his campaign beforehand was honest and said, this is kind of some, uh, some political theater. Get yeah. Trump with another world leader. Get a photo op. Accept his photo op. They forgot the American flag on the stage. When he and the, the president had their press conference, there was no American flag. Usually you have yeah, both flags. Yeah, you have both flags. There was nothing there for Trump. Just not even the Trump flag? Nope. Trump flag was not there. Because you know there probably
2: is a Trump flag. You know there is. If there's a Trump helicopter and a Trump airplane, there's a Trump flag. This is. Uh, these were Donald's comments on his meeting in Mexico with the president of Mexico.
1: We did discuss the wall. We didn't discuss payment of the wall. Uh, That'll be for a later date. This was a very preliminary meeting. I think it was an excellent meeting. And uh, we are, uh, I think we're very well on our way. A lot of the things I said are very strong, but we have to be strong. We have to say what's happening. Uh, There is crime, as you know. There's a lot of crime and there's a lot of problems. But I think together we'll solve those problems. I really believe that the President and I will solve those problems. We will get them solved illegal immigration is a problem for mexico as well as for us uh, drugs are a tremendous problem for mexico as well as us i mean it's not a one-way street and we will work together and we will get those problems
3: solved later the president of mexico said they did discuss the wall and he told trump that they're not going
2: to pay for it yeah but then but trump said we no we didn't discuss payment.
3: no he said that yeah they didn't discuss we'll
2: discuss that later no, we well, discussed no, it and we he said did. no he said no <laughs> So they already had a disagreement there. Then Trump came back uh, to Phoenix area and then gave a speech about immigration where he gave his 10 point list of what's going to happen with immigration, how he's going to take care of it. Uh, Some of the things, one rule is no amnesty.
1: We will break the cycle of amnesty and illegal immigration. We will break the cycle. There will be. No amnesty. Our message to the world will be this You cannot obtain legal status or become a citizen of the United States by illegally entering our country.
2: Can't do it. Hmm. So the 11 million. Uh, alleged supposed illegals, they are not just going to be granted amnesty and access. They're going to have to actually leave the country, reapply, come back in. And how would that be done, everyone says. How on earth do you get people to leave? Well, a special deportation task force. We're going to triple
1: the number of ICE deportation (laughs) officers. Within ICE... I am going to create a new special deportation task force focused on identifying and quickly removing the most dangerous criminal illegal immigrants in America who have evaded justice, just like Hillary Clinton has evaded justice. Okay? maybe they'll be able to deport her.
2: (laughs) Whoa. A Little
3: Dig at the end there
2: a little dig, but uh, hillary 's not going to go quiet on she 's not just going to be deported she uh, She actually says, you know this is going to take diplomacy, and diplomacy is takes a little bit more than just you know one visit
8: People have to get to know that they can count on you that you won 't say one thing one day and something totally different the next, and it's certainly takes more than trying to make up for a year of insults and insinuations by dropping in on our neighbors for a few hours and then flying home again. That is not how it works.
2: No. How it works is you don't go see him when you were invited. (laughs) Hillary was invited. She didn't go. She'll eventually get there. She
3: she didn't go, like, within the 12 hours since
2: the invite. Is Is she going?
3: Well, she said they were going to go at an appropriate
4: time. Right. By the way, if she gets deported, where is she going? Well, apparently... Where should we
2: send her? The Middle East, where she's getting a lot of money from. (laughs) She's getting a lot of money there. (sighs) What do you do? One goes, makes a big scene of it, kind of gets in trouble because the president of Mexico says one thing, he says another. The other doesn't go... Been in there. Donald made the point. Been in there 35 years. Nothing's happened. We still haven't stopped immigration. Who you choose? Who you trust? Well, that's what elections are for. Luckily, we've still got about 70 days to listen to it. And uh, we'll take a break when we come back. We've we've got to get into uh, a little bit of understanding the systems theory of what goes on with flooding. Talking about the Louisiana floods. And how urban sprawl may be part of the problem. Also, bailing people out historically may not be teaching the lessons we need to learn. Stick with us. Helping us uh, understand how to lead a little bit better. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. The damages in Louisiana have been all over the news after a storm dropped two feet of rain on local residents. This amount of precipitation was heavy and certainly a rare event. Professor Craig Colton from Louisiana State University has spent some time studying this disaster as well as uh, the flood plains of Louisiana and is here to speak with us today about how the suburban sprawl and poor preparation worsened the flood damage in that state. Dr. Colton, thank you so much for being with us.
8: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: I I'm fascinated by this uh by kind of natural disasters. Hurricane Katrina made such a had such a devastating impact um back in the east uh the uh the southeast. And I'm wondering do we learn we spend billions of dollars after these events. We try to You know, establish better plans, better preparation, but it just seems like it keeps happening over and over and over to that region.
8: Well, two points here, and I think the term you use, natural disaster, in part frames our ability to, our inability to sustain those lessons learned. Hmm. We tend to see these things as natural disasters, when in fact, the rain event, yes, was a natural occurrence, a natural meteorological event, but the fact that we have aggressively developed into areas where we've had repeat floods over and over and over mm. again and put people in harm's way, that makes it a human disaster, not so much a natural disaster.
2: That's, I guess that's it, huh? So we, we've treated it as a natural disaster, and because of uh, legislation passed in the 50s, the Disaster Relief Act, I guess that enables us to put a lot of money at the issue, but it doesn't necessarily... <laughs> Have everyone learn the natural lessons that maybe we need to build differently here or not build?
8: Yeah, I think we we need to think about how how do we foreground safety in development. Uh, I, I you know disaster relief is is an important part now. It's a something that's needed by people, and, and Louisiana Brian. is always grateful for the extension of both federal aid and and the volunteer aid volunteer aid that pours into the state. Uh, Louisiana is extremely grateful for that. But we need to think. Uh, how do we incorporate these lessons learned from the past events there's uh, people have written that we sometimes that transform lessons learned into lessons identified <laughs> and not really put <laughs> into practice, yeah. uh, not really perpetuated and that's I think the, the, where we have failed we've designed a big giant, very expensive diversion canal that could have prevented some of this flooding, a portion of it but the, the more important lesson, how do we incorporate these lessons into building codes, uh, in, uh, getting people to build their, their houses higher up off the ground uh, to limit development in areas that are flood-prone? And how do we then incorporate this most recent flood into the flood zone maps that FEMA prepares? Mm. You know, It's going to take a while for this record flood to be incorporated.
2: Oh, interesting. So that, that lag time... The delay between this data, because this, this was in an area that, I guess, not everybody recognized as a floodplain?
8: Well, it, it, some of these areas that were flooded were in the 100-year floodplain. The little community of Central, uh, which is in East Baton Rouge, Parries, 75% of its urban territory is in the 100-year floodplain. 25,000 of the 27,000 uh, 25, families were impacted by this. So, uh, what well, we need to think about how we expand that hundred-year flood zone, uh, or the you know one percent chance of flooding occurring any year flood zone, uh, to be more responsive to to these new record events. Hmm. Matt and Ruth, for example, says you have to build a foot above the record flood, not the average flood or the you know uh, the, the, the historic record flood. The, the most recent. So now we have a new record flood. Uh, <laughs> But how long will that really take to translate into um, new structures? And most of the houses that were flooded will not have to make any any substantial changes.
2: Yeah, I guess so that's they'll be out
8: there vulnerable again, and that's the real tragedy. These people will be facing tragedy again the next time we have a big flood.
2: And you know, people not in the know, I guess, would say, "Well, okay, it's underwater anyway, and you're using diversion canals and everything else to keep it." And pumps to keep it above water anyway. Why doesn't everybody just move inland? Except there's a lot of money being made in the water there, right? And so isn't that why people want to live there and stay there? There's work to do.
8: Yeah. Uh, one, Baton Rouge is not quite like New Orleans. Most of Baton Rouge is above sea level. Okay. Uh, and, and we're not surrounded by levees like New Orleans. So we're, we're in a very different situation. But yes. Uh, the term down here we use sometimes is immovable industries. You have na- coastal navigation, a maritime navigation, you have the oil industry and the fishing industry, all very important employers in the coastal zone. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, we've seen a, a gradual retreat over the last 100 years uh, from the coast. Towns have been basically shut down and abandoned after hurricanes. There has been this gradual retreat. But in Baton Rouge, the Baton Rouge area, we've seen growth off the highest ground up near the river, back into the river floodplain, hmm. uh, into the adjacent suburban communities, with uh, suburban sprawl back in the 50s, 60s, and, and particularly after the 1970s. These areas have grown rapidly, and they have contributed to runoff. Every house is built that has a culvert over a drainage ditch, which are common down here, instead of so, uh, underground sewers. Every house, every shopping center, every parking lot increases the runoff and impedes runoff with the culverts. Uh, and bridges that go in to to accommodate that new development, so that all impedes the drainage uh, and and mm. as in addition to placing people in in risky areas
2: and I guess with the delay of information and you know without government local government national federal governments taking quick and aggressive uh you know rule setting for these areas, the sprawl has everyone sprawling right into the flood zone
8: yeah and and you know there 's this real impulse to permit development because that increases tax revenue right. that 's seen as beneficial for uh, communities, so there 's a real uh, tendency to back off foregrounding safety in the interest of development
6: hmm.
8: and, and local governments, are the one who' are really responsible for land use planning and, 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 and those kinds of issues, the government comes in and, and tries to assist with floodplain maps and floodplain insurance which in fact encourages development in these areas.
2: Right, right. I, I guess if you I mean I would buy the house if it's insured and insurable and not necessarily deemed in the in a certain flood zone, you know, if it's if it's in the 1% of uh, of a chance of flooding, it seems like I would do it, right? It's it's Yeah, there.
8: I mean that that's that's a position most people take. They think well if I can if it's in a place where uh, I can buy insurance and my bank will lend me money, with the insurance, I'm going to build there. But, in fact, that's not necessarily hmm. safe in uh, in the wake of so many other people doing making the same decision right. and building the same areas. And governments need to take a bit more uh, cautious uh, stance towards – local governments need to take a more cautious stance towards permitting accelerated development into flood potential zones.
2: Historically – were people just less dependent on the government to make all of these calculations, and they made them themselves? I mean, was it historically they would build their homes eight, ten feet above the water on stilts or whatever to be able to 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 keep their homes, and they'd they'd furnish them less lavishly because they knew that they were flood pl- prone.
5: Oh, absolutely.
8: The you know in in Louisiana along the Mississippi River before we had effective levees most of the tra- traditional homes on the river were built several feet above the ground, and floodwaters would wash underneath them. Uh, here in Baton Rouge, most of the early development was on high ground. We have the, the, the core of the city is about 50 feet above sea level, and about uh, 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 30 feet above the river. So we're really immune from Mississippi River flooding, mm-hmm. as well as flooding from these smaller streams. But as with development, we've accelerated the the drainage from Baton Rouge into these uh, uh, rivers that flow into Lake into the Lake Pontchartrain system, and people have been building out into the area near those rivers. Uh, so, uh, and in addition, like you mentioned, people used to practice something, uh, some sort of what we call self insurance. They built modest houses in the coastal area, they furnished them very modestly, um, and this happened in flood-prone areas around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, people you know, could move to the second story of their house if they had one, or they could move uh, to visit with neighbors up the bayou, and weather the storm, come back in and throw away their modest furnishings if they were destroyed, and and carry on with their life. But now we have so much invested in houses, uh, much more expensive electronics and electrical systems, uh, and people aren't willing to live without air conditioning and all these comforts. So we invest more in our houses, and each flood is much more devastating.
2: Do, uh, Dr. Colton, does, it seems like if I had a professor at Louisiana State University in the Department of Geography um, who was studying these zones extensively, I would have you you know, helping the government, the local government. Do they involve researchers like you? Do they involve people that that can that understand this.
8: Absolutely. Uh ironically, um one of our alums from our department in 1985 wrote a a, a really scathing critique uh that makes many of the same points I'm making to you today. He was, and he was the chief uh floodplain manager for the state of Louisiana. He was the guy people <laughs> turned to. His name was Rod Emmer. He recently passed away, but he was a geographer who wrote about floodplains and wrote about the fact that development and the lack of planning in flood zones is the biggest problem, not so much um, just the rainstorms themselves. Yeah,
2: it's it's interesting. It just seems like it's it's kind of typical government in a way where we just the the businesses are driving the show, and the actual protection has
8: to come later. That's pretty much the case. I mean, one of the, you know, we developed uh, farms and cities along the Mississippi River, and then we begged the federal government to pay for our levies because we couldn't afford to build them ourselves down here. Uh, and likewise, uh, we begged the federal government to build this diversion canal, which has been over 20 years in the making and not complete, not not at all functional. Um so we have turned to government uh, for bailout, and the government does play an important role in providing a you know a safety net for many people. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's uh, less there's a sense that individuals are, are less accountable, less culpable, uh, less responsible for own, their own decisions these days. I there agree. Is expectation for aid and assistance.
2: Let's take a break. We are speaking with Dr. Craig E. Colton. He again is a, a professor. Um, and is walking us through what's going on in the floodplains of Louisiana as a professor at Louisiana State University. We'll come back and uh, get to some solutions. What would he recommend that we do? How do we slow this down? And just as an average citizen, what are we supposed to do to make sure we're safe as we live in these zones? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking with Dr. Craig Colton about uh, the f- flood damage in Louisiana as, uh, again, a, a really a, a one-in-one-hundred-year storm hits again. But floods, a place that's used to being flooded and where the research and the data shows, you know, you probably ought not be building homes. And if you are, you ought to be building them a certain way. And, and so we've been talking with uh, Dr. Colton to figure out what what can be done about this. Again, Dr. Colton, thank you so much for being with us.
8: My pleasure to be here. Thank you for your
2: interest. You bet when when you when you f- spend your life doing this and you you know recommendations have been made but you also know I guess the government takes a while to get the data into the registers that need to you know that will people will use to account for building and and other growth uh, issues how how do we fix this how do we move this along where it's we're not we don't keep overgrowing overbuilding and and really setting ourselves up for other future issues
8: well, there are a few ways that we can begin to think about this, and, and, and you're right, it does take a long time. It, it, the, the span of time from the first proposal for flood insurance to the implementation in 1968 or the passage of a law authorizing in 68, and then it took another 10 or 15 years for it to, to get to be an effective program. So it takes a while. But I think several things need to be done. We need to, to begin thinking first and foremost about how we um, – define the flood zones, and I think we need to go, typically they, they talk about the 100-year flood zone or the areas that have a 1% chance of flooding every year. We need to at least expand that to a 500-year uh, floodplain or the hmm. floodplains that are, have a, a 0.2% chance occurring every year. That will account, account in part for um, more intense storms that we expect to see with, with global warming, um, and it will also enlarge the pool of people paying in so that when we have a calamity, a tragedy like this or Katrina or Hurricane Sandy, it doesn't completely drain the, the, uh, the pool that's out there to pay for damages. So we need to enlarge the pool, uh, expand the flood zones. Um, and I think another thing to think about, uh, a second thing to think about is uh, how do we get uh, developers to begin contributing to the, right. the, the pain and suffering and the cost people endure when they buy in these areas. These people generally have more resources than a typical home buyer, and they need to be involved in, in sharing some of the responsibility. Uh, they had a program a number of years ago where people who developed a, a, a landfill or a, a toxic waste, dump, they had to put up basically uh, an escrow, establish an escrow account that would pay for its cleanup. What I think might be a comparable sort of solution here is to have developers put up a surety bond, some kind of escrow account that could be used to help pay for damages if they, in fact, uh, are suffered within a 20-year time span of of the developed 20- or 50-year time span. So they have to bear a portion of the cost.
2: Because the developers sold the dream, right? (laughs) Yeah, they
8: (laughs) sold the dream. Uh, they uh, incur the 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 benefits, the the profits, and if they have to uh, take something out of their pocket, mm-hmm. they may think twice about developing in an area that might be a little risky.
2: Well, yeah, and maybe you could develop it at a higher standard with a lower cost of insurance uh, versus you know going by the natural the normal standard, the one in one hundred year flood. Do it one in 1,000 year flood, and you might get a lower rate.
8: Absolutely. I and mean, then you, you could stagger, you could tier it uh, to, to the level of
2: risk. Yeah, right. And
8: I think, and then at, at the local level, there needs to be much more assertive, um, there must, needs to be a foregrounding of safety, uh, adjustment of building codes, not necessarily following national building codes, which call for slab on grade. Places like Louisiana, you need to build houses that are elevated, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not just. Uh, a minimum level but a safe level uh so building codes building properly building floodproof structures building elevated houses there's all kinds of things you can do with the electrical systems in house to make them less susceptible to uh flood damage just raising the plugs on the wall huh. a foot or two it might not be visually appealing but um, it it would take some of the electrical works out of reach of you know a maybe right. two foot flood so How do we adapt our building techniques to accommodate the more intense storms we can anticipate in the coming years?
2: And I I guess this is really important to remember that in 83, in this exact location where we're talking about, there was a a benchmark flood that caused uh, caused close to $345 million in damages. So here we are 20 years later, uh, 30 years later, I guess, and... Another storm. No,
8: yeah, more and damage. And the, 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 uh, I mentioned this community of Central the other day. On their webpage about the flood risk in their community, they had this list of if like a dozen floods since the 1970s that have impacted their community. It wasn't just the 83 flood. That was the, the, the most benchmark. Yeah. We had a massive uh, precipitation event in March this year. Hmm. It was probably a 500-year event. I forget what the exact... Uh, you know estimate was, but it was uh, it was a rare event, uh, and that 's two times this year
2: well, and you bring up a, a point that these changes uh, everything has to be based on an assumption, right So whatever assumption we make about flooding we we are also going to build the the infrastructure for the town, our highway bridges, our road access, all of these things the levees, the pumps that 's a lot of expense, and if the assumptions are wrong you are ruining your infrastructure and going to have to repay it. So I guess part of this learning is to make sure that our infrastructure is sound and future-oriented.
8: Absolutely. If you look at kind of the evolution of, of highway bridge infrastructure design and urban drainage design, they always tend to design for the more common storm. And that makes sense because that's less expensive. They don't design and build for the more extreme. But we need to think about how we... Uh, adjust these design standards in anticipation of both future growth, which oftentimes is factored in, but uh, how we, uh, how we factor it to you know accommodate all the aspects of, of future development and changing climate and and more extreme storms.
2: Dr. Colton, talk to us. So if I'm an average Joe. And whether, whether I'm living in Louisiana, whether I'm living even in the desert where there's flash flooding and, you know, events like that, what do I do as an average citizen to make sure I'm covered? That How do I know if I'm in flood zones? How do I know if it's the right standard, if it's the one in 100 year standard or higher or lower?
8: Well, to be sort of glib, um, buy a house near... Uh, a floodplain manager. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, we, we do need to do a much better job of informing people. Uh, and and you know, there have been some, some wild suggestions made, but people need to... Uh, you, you can... In, in Louisiana, all the floodplain maps are available online to the uh, LSU Ag School, uh, and you can look and see where these flood zones are. Uh, and I would encourage people to to not only... Avoid the hundred-year floodplain, but try to try to buy outside the five-hundred-year floodplain, mm.
6: the, the,
8: the, the larger area. Get flood insurance at the very least. I mean, that's a kind of a standard recommendation, uh, and then look into uh, building or doing things that can floodproof your house. If you have your AC unit, can you elevate it a few feet so uh, it doesn't get flooded with a, with a common uh, regular storm? Uh, but everyone needs to to do some due diligence. And think about how they can, uh, you know, it's far cost far less to raise an air conditioning unit up than a whole house, a right. slab on grade house. So, so can you can you elevate those expensive pieces of, of uh, housing um, uh, infrastructure uh, yourself and make them a bit safer?
2: And I, I think it's with everything. Whether you're in an earthquake zone, whether you're in a landslide zone, I mean, there's 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 risks everywhere. But it's. You just can't be complacent. And I think, too, we're learning. You just can't assume that everything the government's doing is always just the smartest thing. Right. I mean, it's 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 the best. It might be the best knowledge we have. But don't rely solely on the help of the government. Use no, your think, use your mind. Oh. Use your head if you can. And. Get ahead people,
8: of it. People, people need to certainly do their due diligence and and take take a role in this and making decisions. Um, but but still, the government provides some of these guidelines and outlines, and sometimes they they soft pedal it. But, yeah. but people need to take a critical look at it and think, uh, you know, maybe if I pay one hundred eighty thousand dollars for this house in a flood zone, I might be saving some money short term. But if I pay $200,000 for this one up on a little bit higher land, I might be saving myself a huge amount of money, pain, and grief in the long run. Yeah. Because yeah. insurance doesn't pay for all the the waves of inconvenience and turmoil and, and trauma that people suffer. It right. might pay for the actual repairs, but there's no compensation for the real costs, the human cost of these kind of tragedies.
2: Mm. Great insight. Uh, Dr. Craig E. Colton, thank you so much for your great work on this and uh, keeping us informed.
8: Well, thank you. And thank you and your listeners' interest in Louisiana. We really appreciate you it.
2: You bet. And uh, prayers go out to you there. I mean, can you imagine just losing everything and putting it in a boat and floating it, floating away? I mean, it's ah, it's tough. It's really hard. And for the rest of us, let's just. Pick it up. Make sure you got insurance right now. Go check right now if you live in those zones. Make sure you're living in a, in a safe place. Uh, in our neighborhood, it's radon, for heaven's sakes. So it's always something helping you live longer and uh, hopefully happier, healthier. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Stick with us. Hmm. Letter Writing Day. Today is the day we celebrate World Letter Writing Day. And it was established by Richard Simpkin as a tribute to the joy and excitement he felt when a handwritten letter would arrive in his mailbox. Again, we were talking about it earlier. Many of us don't ever get a handwritten letter. What was the last handwritten letter, Jeffrey, you received? Not from... The, uh, the police officer that signed that letter for you? <laughs> uh,
4: probably, what, 12 years? Really? Yeah.
6: That's sad.
4: I had to move out of the country before somebody
2: would write me a handwritten letter. I know, those were the days. You'd leave, you'd leave the country, all these people. My wife wrote me, I went on an LDS mission to Argentina when I was 19. She wrote me every week a handwritten letter. She and that's why me. you married her. And that's why I married her. Now she won't even email me. <laughs> it's so sad. we uh, I wrote her every month. I think I wrote her more, but some of them may have been lost in the mail. I was busy. I was doing work. Maybe your dad was uh,
4: screening the letters. Maybe he wasn't giving them to her. Ah, that's it. That's
2: exactly what my dad was doing. Um Letter writing day. We thought we'd take a little time writing and reading some letters that kids. These are notes from children to their parents. I tried to do the neighbor notes, but a lot of the neighbor notes were really offensive. Like, dear neighbor, shut your kids up kind of letters. Those are rude. So here are some notes, uh, honest notes, letters written by hand. From loving children to their mother and dad. Here's one. Dear mom, thank you so much for being my mom. If I had a different mom, I would punch her in the face and go find you. Love, Brooke. Mm. That's really good. A lot of violence. Here's another one. Uh, I met a new friend named Sarah. We became friends because I kicked her in the face and said, Sorry.
4: I can't tell you how many friendships have started for me with
2: somebody getting kicked in the face. <laughs> that's, a, that's so true. Dear Mrs. McMahon, you're a good teacher, but not my most favorite. Very honest. Honest. Uh, sorry. Here's a sorry letter. Sorry because of nothing. <laughs> Sounds like Donald Trump. Yeah, totally. Dear Tooth Fairy... Earlier in the month, we had a a, – actually, last month, we had a tooth fairy story where the parents wrote a note that was contractually saying, if you don't do your – clean up your room and homework and stuff, we're going to take your teeth. This is one of a child to a tooth fairy. Dear Tooth Fairy, I lost my tooth on the 23rd of October. Now it is November 12th. I lost my tooth in pizza. I lost both today. You owe me $1. Not to be hard. But I need the money. That kid is going to be great at business and invoicing. She's going to work for a collections agency. I can already tell. Dear Dad. Oh, this is a sad one. I'm so glad that me and Isaac are staying with you. Me and Isaac miss you. I hope you and mom will get back together. But you and mom won't because my mom doesn't like you. Love, Isaac.
4: Please tell me you're going to end with a happy one. I don't know, it's
2: hard to find a happy one in the group. Uh, Dear God, this is a letter to God. Thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Love Joyce. (laughs) Mommy, I love you sometimes! Exclamation point six times. Aren't kids cute? So there's your little homework assignment. Take a little time today, just a little time. And write a letter to somebody you love. Maybe your kids. Nowadays, it's just a text. My son texted me said, hey, dad, let's go to lunch on you. So now it's texting, but maybe take a little time. Write a little handwritten letter thanking your spouse, somebody you love, just expressing your love to them. I'm telling you, it'll probably go a a pretty long way. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hour number one. In the can. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us.
0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. What we do on this program is give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. Man, we got a lot to get to today. It is letter writing day, the day you write a letter. Just get out there, write a letter to somebody today. Handwritten, signed, sealed, delivered. If you can, even go find a stamp. Good luck there. And uh, it's also No Rhyme or Reason Day.
1: Badgers? We don't need no stinking badgers!
2: Exactly. No rhyme, no reason. A lot of what we say today will have no rhyme and no reason. (laughs) Booyah! Take it! Like that. Uh, We've also got a great topic on uh, exhaustion. Do you ever just feel done, exhausted, absolutely spent, so tired you can't sleep? So tired, you can't even open Netflix every day, every day, and it's that bad, so we will be speaking with an expert on the subject how uh how to deal with exhaustion it's history, how it happens what uh, what do you do? How do you overcome it? How do you stop it it's scary it's bad when it you know you're exhausted. When you can't even make a dental appointment because it takes too much energy. I realized if I just had my assistant just make my dental appointment. So in a weird way, my assistant now knows more about me and my body than I do. Because she's talking with uh, my dentist. The person that's going to stretch my esophagus. I'm going in for an endoscopy moment. Just letting you guys know that, because I'm exhausted. (sighs) If I don't make it out, carry on without me.
3: Flexing your esophagus. They're going to stretch it. Really? Not if they're going to stretch
2: it. They're just going to look to see if I've damaged it. It's all that hard living? Yeah. Apparently, you need to chew your food. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Seems overrated. Well, a little bit. We will get to that as well. Uh, in fact, I think I'm going to do a live remote from my endoscopy moment.
3: Really? Yeah. Be careful; those uh, tools that they use sometimes. Uh, what was it, uh, Mount Sinai? Mm-hmm. UC, is it, that's around UCLA, I think. I don't know, but Mount Sinai they had the staff infection that happened to several. Uh, oh, like last year.
8: Oh yeah, where great. they're they're doing yeah. that
3: internal yeah. examination, uh-huh. and the little tool doesn't quite get clean all the time, and people are getting sick. So be oh. careful. Just wanted to share that with you.
2: <laughs> no rhyme to reason or reason there. They get the the old MRSA. Ah, uh, <laughs> be careful. You didn't need to bring that up. Or just just conversation.
3: We're just talking two people. I was just
2: going in for a.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
3: just ask them to clean their tools before they. Oh, yeah. They examine you internally.
2: That's, how do you ask a do- Hey, are your tools clean? Did you clean those? <laughs> Did you use the blue light? The neat thing is they're not going to miss because I've only got one esophagus. Mm, yeah, you apparently. only get one. So, you know, at least they won't take out the wrong one. <laughs> but it is an endoscopy lab. I guess I ought to make yeah. sure we tell them we're going from the top down. <laughs> I'll write that. I'll put a little. I'll, I'll yeah, mark a, my cheek and put an arrow to my mouth. Woo-hoo. Check here. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Good luck with that. I don't want to do it. Maybe now. you could Facebook Live that. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Except I'll be unconscious. Apparently. Well, you could have one of the nurses hold it. They can just hold your phone.
2: I'll have Sadie come. Yeah. She's the Caitlin sole, can do it. Yeah. It's yeah. just holding a phone. One can hold my hand and one can live. Facebook us. That'd be great. Hey, uh, crazy news. If you were planning on being around in 2075, there's an extinction level asteroid that's going to that could hit the Earth. So just plan accordingly. We will be speaking with Maurice Pluto. Yes, the planet, the dwarf planet. He's back. He's going to help us understand what we're supposed to do about an extinction, extinction level asteroid. Uh, great insight on that. In just a few moments, he'll be with us. Plus, again, talking exhaustion. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas, find out the headlines around the country. Caitlin, what's up?
7: Thanks, Matt. A new national poll by Fox News out today revealed Hillary Clinton has nearly lost the gains she made on Donald Trump post-convention. After weeks of boasting big winning margins, Clinton is now only two points ahead of Trump, 41% to 39%. Her lead is within the poll's margin of error of plus or minus three percentage points, putting the candidates in a statistical tie. Moreover, the poll showed third-party candidates Jill Stein and Gary Johnson firmly in the race, though still out of reach of the requisite 15% support needed to qualify for the presidential debates. Hillary Clinton did not explicitly reference Donald Trump's surprise trip to Mexico during her speech to the American Legion's annual convention in Cincinnati yesterday, but it was clear that what she was talking about when she contrasted her record of diplomacy with her opponent's history of insulting U.S. allies. She said, You don't build a coalition by insulting our friends or acting like a loose cannon. You do it by putting in the slow, hard work of building relationships. Ex-Stanford University swimmer Brock Turner is set to walk free from a California jail um, tomorrow morning. He would be three months shy of a six-month sentence for sexually assaulting an unconscious woman outside of a fraternity house in January of 2015. While the now 21-year-old Turner has been expelled from the school, the firestorm ignited by the judge's sentencing... Blasted by critics as a slap on the wrist has prompted an outcry by advocates who want stricter penalties for sex offenders. And lastly, there are fifty one pregnant women in New York City with the Zika virus, according to health officials. Whoa. And the total number of individuals infected with the virus has increased to five hundred and five. City officials have warned New Yorkers to refrain from traveling to Zika infected countries for at least the next year. What so there you go. We're having
2: That is a, it's
7: a little scary.
2: I so, thought everyone was talking about Miami being the hotbed of Zika, but... Where are
7: you well, going? Well, neither. Pregnant go- women. Were
2: you going scary? mad here in We are going bit? to Costa Rica. Yeah. That Good
3: might, luck to you. That might be one of those countries.
2: Well, it, it can't be worse, apparently, than me getting my throat endoscopied. Can we get a bubble for you to exist in when you return? The man in a bubble. Bubble boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just sit you
3: in the corner and you can breathe your own environment. That's you don't catch
2: zika that way.
3: Mm, I don't know. They keep changing. I mean, they had someone caught it from a dental exam. That might have been a fake story, but I am going to the dentist. I, I, today. I read it on the internet.
2: <laughs> You're not helping much today. No, I'm not trying to. You and Donald Trump. Donald Trump is taking Hillary down. One little trip to Mexico at a time. He just keeps chipping away at her lead. The the funny thing is, it seems like he should be, she should be killing it. Should be. Everybody. It's funny when they bring on on the uh, news shows. They'll bring on, you know, one of her her uh, her advisors or advocates, and they're like, "How come she's? If Donald's such a problem, and how come she's not doing very well?" But she's ahead. One note.
3: What. As of August 30th, Hillary Clinton has 291 offices and 15 battleground states and counties. She's Donald going to win. <laughs> Donald Trump has
2: 88. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to come down to the ground, and she's going to dominate. Yeah. You know what would make these elections
4: more interesting is if those battleground states were literally battleground states. Ooh. Like they showed up, and they're just –
3: like they've got their guns. Civil War and...
8: garb. <laughs>
2: yeah, that probably wouldn't be productive. be fun to watch. Way fun to watch. I, I watched that competitive professional night fighting. That I sent that you the you video me. of? Yeah. That, that, you think mixed martial arts is crazy. This is cool because you can't see anyone's faces. Right. They're just, they're all armored up. And then all of a sudden you get a big sword to the head <laughs> and your bell's rung. Ah, <sighs> crazy stuff. Hey, okay, here's the deal. An extinction level. Okay, that seems like a really high level. I mean, if, yeah. you can, if you're going to extinguish I, I a can, planet. I can see how you would think that. Seems like a big deal. Extinction level asteroid could collide with the Earth in 2175. No, a lot of people think that's a long, you know, that's that's a long time away. But somebody's got to get on this. And when I read that, uh, the scientists believe that the asteroid is named 101955, doesn't even have its own name, Bennu, I guess, 101955 Bennu, could be on a direct collision course with Mother Earth. And that scares me. So I decided, because I just met... uh, Maurice Pluto, the now dwarf planet, used to be a planet. He was just in studio last week, and um, I thought, he's the guy you ask about these asteroids, you know, from one little guy to another little guy. So we're going to invite – and we're honored to have him back because you'd think he wouldn't come back because we offended him last time – but uh, we, we'd we like to welcome back in to the show again, Mo Pluto. Mo, how are you? Are talking to me? Yeah. Hey, Mo.
4: I just want you to know that I've got access to all these hotkeys here, so you better be careful what you
2: say to me today. First, uh, it's a trap! How are you pushing those? Because you don't have arms, Mr. Pluto. Well, I...
4: I don't know. I kind of just roll over them. <laughs> and so press, if they if they're a little random, pressure goes against
2: gravitational forces. Ah, I want to just apologize. Apparently, we didn't we didn't it didn't turn out the way you thought it would last time we were
4: together. Little I got to let you know the only reason I'm standing here right now is because of pineapple and kiwis. I got the fruit basket that oh, Caitlin yeah. – Oh, you got it. Caitlin sent – Caitlin, Where? thank you, Caitlin. She gave me the fruit basket, and I uh, I don't recall seeing your name on the
2: basket, Matt. Yeah. Well, I think I told Caitlin to do that, and I paid for it. So <laughs> my name was on the check. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Pineapple and kiwis. Uh, and That's I'm kind
4: sorry. of my mantra. Whenever I uh, get upset today, I'm just going to say pineapple and kiwis, pineapple. pineapple.
2: Again, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. It was we were celebrating the 10 year anniversary of the terrible issue of you being demoted from a regular normal planet to a dwarf planet. And I didn't mean to make fun of that. I didn't mean to belittle you. Now that you see right there, that seems like a jab. But
4: uh, I'm I'm, right now I'm in a good mood. So I'm going to let that one slide. I'm not
2: going to, I'm not here to put you down. Okay. I'm not. I mean, we've thought of putting you down, but I'm not here for that. So, what I really need your help with is you heard about this asteroid. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an extinction level. And, A, because as a planet, you you're near extinct, right? So, we thought you would be really good at helping us with an extinction planet or an extinction level asteroid. Um, well, you know, nothing is set in stone yet. I haven't
4: totally signed on to do this. Um I do have some demands if I am going to sign up for this. Oh boy. Uh firstly, the IAU, the I hate you, you know, the International Astronomical union. Yeah. U-
2: yeah. Union. First,
4: they've got to reclassify me as a planet.
2: Okay. That's so, a given. That's if you're going to help us fix this asteroid, blow up this asteroid. Yeah. yeah. They they've got to help you Get reinstated as a full-fledged planet, not just a dwarf planet.
4: Yes. Okay. Number
2: two, Jupiter,
4: that backstabbing planet, (laughs) he has to admit that uh, he's not, not only is he not so big, but uh, he needs to change his name to, uh, let's make it Gassy McGasbag or something. You're
2: still upset that
4: Jupiter took your girl. Wouldn't you be? And wouldn't you be mad at the girl if you gave her a ring and she didn't give it back to you? Yeah, but... All right. See, this is progress. We're on the same page here. Number three, I just heard that Trump went to Mexico. Yeah. He's got to pay me a visit, too.
2: Oh, so one of the... You you want Trump to visit you on Pluto.
4: Yeah, I've been learning more about him. I, I want him to visit. We've got some ideas
2: that we can toss back and forth. Okay. So, uh, I I'll, I'll check with the Trump thing. He did just go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't know. I can't I can't make that promise. I mean, I guess I think you should do this just because you know, asteroids, they're small. They're smaller. It's only 546 yards in diameter. <laughs> and so, that's and pretty puny. <laughs> it's it's puny and then you're kind of considered a smaller planet more on the petite side of the planetary uh, realm, so I just thought you would you'd you'd want to kind of earn back your trust just by taking on this asteroid and protecting Mother Earth.
4: I'm willing to do it, but you know everything's got to line up
2: just right. Okay. So do you actually have a plan for how you would keep these little foreign entities out of the Earth space? Yeah, I got a plan. What's your plan?
4: Well. You give me the job, and then I tell you what the plan is. That's how it works.
2: So we have these foreign entities that keep Mm -hmm. penetrating our atmosphere, and you're telling me you have a plan, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to tell us the plan until I give you the job.
4: Well, I I don't want to go into any of the nitty-gritty details, but uh, all I can say is it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. i got a lot of great people working on it right now. Uh, We're going to build a wall around planet Earth. Hold it and uh, that's going to keep the bad asteroids out and the good ones in yeah
2: so your plan is your plan is to build a wall
4: yeah yeah you, just just trust me it's going to be great we got good people working on it and uh yeah it, and, and the wall will keep the foreign entities from getting into the bad Earth. ones out the good ones we're going to let come in we want good asteroids we in. want the good asteroids coming in
2: but i don't see how a wall it doesn't seem like it seems like you need more than a wall, Mr. Pluto. It seems like you need almost more like a bubble. You know, Matt, uh, the bu- it seems like the wall isn't going to solve the problem.
4: I, I really don't have much time for this. I you're going to get on my list. You're this close to being on the top of my list. Your list of people that aren't allowed to talk to you. Bill yeah. O'Reilly, yeah. Joe Scarborough, oh, boy. and uh Jennifer Aniston.
2: Oh, really? I'm I'm not going to forgive her for what she did to Brad Pitt. Okay, she's not a friend. No. Okay. Well, I don't mean to offend you, but I think we'll just have to have another plan. I mean, a plan that might work. You know, Matt, you are
4: welcome to come up with your own plan if you think if you've got something more better and more specific than my perfectly laid out plan, then you're yeah. welcome to do that. I, 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 for one, will not stand here or float here or whatever I do another second and yeah. listen to this. I, I'm. I, I've got oh, to. Go. I didn't me. mean to offend you.
2: Mo Pluto again offended him ask a few questions build a wall he says trust me it'll be huge keep the bad ones out let the good ones in okay whatever so for all of you that'll live to 2175 you're dead you're dead We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the history of exhaustion. Is that just a new idea? Or have people been exhausted forever? Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. helping you live longer. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show you know, we try to pack more and more into each day today, don't we? Technology can interfere with sleep and the stresses of work and family keep us up at night. All are ingredients that can lead to exhaustion. We look to the past, imagining that life, uh, you know, was once much simpler, slower. But extreme mental and physical stress is not a modern syndrome. Today's guest, Dr. Anna Katharina Schaffner, a reader in comparative literature and medical humanities at the University of Kent in England, shares her research with us from her book Exhaustion, A History. Dr. Schaffner, welcome so much. Uh, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show, and thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you
5: very much for having me on the
2: show. So exhaustion, not a, not a modern... Uh, Not not just something new to the modern life. Apparently, exhaustion has a very, very, very long history.
5: Exactly. Um, I was really intrigued a couple of years ago when I noticed that a lot of articles were being produced, a lot of talk um, happened about burnout stress. And most researchers, um, both academic and in popular media, always seem to think of our age as the most exhausting and the most exhausted age ever and that was really something I kept um, coming across again and again and I was very intrigued by this conception of our own crisis as the most dramatic and the most preeminent one Ever. And I just wondered whether that could be true. And of course, you know, um, most people who talk about stress and burnout and various other exhaustion syndromes, they talk about technology and how new technologies such as um, the Internet and mobile phones and so on, they have led to us being ever more unable to switch off. Um, and therefore they blame those new technologies on on an erosion of the work-life um, boundaries, and they argue that those kind of boundaries have become ever more porous because of these new technologies. And a lot of um, researchers also talked about how neoliberal capitalist competition was getting ever fiercer. And- mm more inhumane, causing people lots of stress in their work life. Um, And therefore, a lot of researchers talk about this, you know, relentless 24-7 culture that has turned us into the most exhausted people in history ever. (laughs) And I was really intrigued and wondered, can that really be the case? And I looked at um, older records, medical ones, theological ones, um, psychological ones, psychoanalytical ones, Um, And I was really, really surprised to find that exhaustion has actually been a topic that was of interest in every historical period. Not only was it of interest, but most historical, most people in those different periods also thought of their age as the most exhausting age. And they also presented their own crises as the most dramatic ones out there. And they always looked back to um, a past that was imagined as, as much more, calm, less stressful, you know, where people lived more wholesome lives in (laughs) harmony with nature. So that too was something that um, recurred again and again in my research. Uh, And exhaustion, I think the causes of exhaustion that people talk about, they vary greatly um, throughout history, but what remains constant is an anxiety about exhaustion. So I think there's this underlying fear that um, exhaustion may do social harm, it may do harm to the individual, and um, anxieties about exhaustion really can be traced back all the way to the age of classical antiquity.
2: Wow. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? You, your body would create anxiety at the idea that you're burning yourself out. It just seems natural. Yeah, absolutely.
5: So, and it, I think it's also considered to be a social problem. And, and that, too, became very clear in, in those historical records, because the exhausted um, tend to not work, and they tend not to be productive, and they can cause um, social frictions in some cases. And so exhaustion was always considered um, an issue that wasn't just a well-being issue, but that also affected society um, in, a, in a sort of more general broader sense um, and you know burnout is actually an economical problem because a lot of people who take sick leave you know tend to not be productive and, um, and therefore uh, in various countries uh, burnout research is sponsored by the state because the state has an interest in, in having productive workers. Um, a a healthy uh, workforce that that can keep being productive. Um, So it's not just a well-being issue, but also a wider social and an economic issue. Um, But what I found uh, really interesting was that I think exhaustion also hooks into some dark psychological fears about aging and death and, you know, the waning of our engagement. And that tends to be a psychological constant throughout the ages. But what differs greatly is the kind of stories um people people talk people um, people people constructed about exhaustion and its causes, and the causes what we blame the causes for which we blame our exhaustion they vary greatly huh. at the moment they 're mainly you know technological changes, but in history they they differ enormously, and exhaustion was co- blamed on all sorts of different phenomena
2: talk about that what what uh... I guess every every era would have a different maybe cause of exhaustion. What, what were some of the historical sources of exhaustion?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think exhaustion is also a really, really interesting topic because I'm interested in the kind of exhaustion that isn't just physical exhaustion. Right. You know, that is the result of hard physical labor or hard days' work or running a marathon. I'm interested in the kind of exhaustion that is, um very difficult to locate that is somewhere between mental and physical and social and spiritual. Um, And that kind of exhaustion, too, has existed um, throughout the ages. So people weren't just exhausted in the past because they had to work harder, but they also suffered from that kind of exhaustion that is the result of of brain work um, or of psychosocial stresses. And um, that kind of exhaustion has been blamed on, for example, in the period of classical antiquity, the humor theory paradigm was, was very, very popular, well, it was, in fact, the, the big medical theory, and that remained the case until modern medicine um, uh, came along um, as late as the sort of 18th and 19th century. Um, but humor theory is all about a balance between four different bodily humors. And if one of those humors um, is present excessively or is deficient, then, then an individual's health, both mental and physical, can be affected. So in the age of classical antiquity, exhaustion was blamed on a surplus of black bile. Mm. Um, and people back then believed that black bile would be, if it was present in an excessive amount in the body, would be burned and would literally rise up um, into the sufferer's brain and then cloud their judgment and make them see everything through a glass darkly. So it was a physical wow. phenomenon, um, but, but it had mental effects. Yeah. Um, and other causes of exhaustion were thought to be in the, in the um, Renaissance period. For example, there was a scholar who was very interested in the exhaustion of scholars, and he believed in astronomy and astrology and um, various alchemical cures. And he believed that our exhaustion was caused by living in disharmony with the planets. So hmm. he, he found it he, he found it extremely difficult that we uh, he basically his cure was. Um, that we have to align our rhythms with the planets that are responsible for our energy resources, um, and he recommended as cures for the for exhaustion, um, amongst other things, orphic dancing, which is all about aligning your own body with the movements of the celestial bodies above <laughs> you. That's one of the most esoteric cures out there. Interesting. Um, but other people believed in. Um, in technological changes, they feature quite centrally, but, but it's not only about technology. I would say that c- quite regularly people blamed change of any kind for causing exhaustion. So that could be technological change, but that can also entail social changes. So in the 19th century, for example, um, people suffered from um, a diagnosis that was called neurasthenia, Um, and uh, neurasthenia also entailed um, severe physical and mental exhaustion but also a host of other symptoms. Um, It was invented in the United States by a physician called um, George M. Beard and it was structured around the idea of a lack of nerve force and Beard and various other people who embraced that diagnosis Sort of um, neurasthenia as being caused by uh, overstimulation, constant cognitive overstimulation. And be it, for example, blamed um, neurasthenia on, on steam power, artificial lighting, hmm. um, the telegraph, and also the education of women. So another interesting constant is that um, theorists tend to identify very specific technological or social changes, often changes with with which they disagree, and then they try to pathologize them and uh, present them as, as being the, you know, causes of a specific kind of exhaustion.
2: Oh, how interesting. Yeah, and that, then they can they could throw anything. We could say today's exhaustion is caused by Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton.
5: Yes, <laughs> absolutely.
2: Oh, my uh, yeah. heavens. It's um, interesting that it was... It's such a... It's such a universal experience, right apparently all the way back in time they've been trying to explain what's the cause of this exhaustion:
5: yeah absolutely um, and and what I find also really fascinating is how you know these kind of theories about exhaustion they can tell us quite a lot about different historical periods and you know values that were prevalent at those moments and concerns and anxieties because exhaustion is something that is very hard to measure. It's a subjective experience. Um, It's an experience that entails physical symptoms such as fatigue, weakness, and lethargy, but also mental symptoms such as weariness, disillusionment, hopelessness, lack of engagement, um, cognitive impairment, and so on. Um, But what is very, very interesting is the ways in which um, theorists... um, divide up their, their factors between um, physical ones and mental ones mm. and social ones. So in some periods uh, the, the medical or theological um, theorists of exhaustion blamed everything on, on physical causes, on you know, bodily development, yeah, and in other periods they would privilege the psychological and they mm. would talk about you know the mind and its power over the body. Um, so you get very, very different different theoretical models of exhaustion. You know, I, Freud, for example, oh, it, believed that obviously everything was um, was caused by, you know, inner psychological and outer psychological conflicts, um, whereas some other biomedical researchers nowadays would say it's all about, you know, um, biochemical processes in the brain. Yeah.
2: Dr. Anna, uh, let's take a break. we got to come back, um, but I want to continue this discussion and figure out what we what I guess what we've learned and where we can go forward with it in understanding our own exhaustion today again Dr. Anna Katharina Schaffner uh, the author of the book Exhaustion History unbelievable folks don't think you're that special this has been going on forever exhaustion and the human being stick with us the Matt Townsend show we'll be right back The Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about exhaustion today. It's, uh, you would think, in this day of technology, the blue light that keeps you awake, all of these advancements, it's just, uh, it's harder to not be exhausted with all of the things going on in our world, except when you talk to the experts uh like our guest Dr. Anna Katharina Schaffner, she's the author of the book Exhaustion a History she's been detailing and and talking to us today about the fact that this goes this goes back and back and back every generation it seems like has uh, been arguing for their own exhaustion and how however to, however they manifest it through fatigue lethargy you know just complete depression <laughs> anxieties it's it's something that every generation seems to feel. Uh, Dr. Schaffner, thank you so much for being with us and teaching us this.
5: Yes, it's a pleasure to, to talk to you.
2: Talk to us about, um, I guess, as we think about it, it, the physical realm you were talking about. They've always kind of tried to identify it either through a physical manifestation, a mental and psychological manifestation, or a social reality that uh that's and how it's impacting us is i i guess the, what does this teach us just about humans that that we do tire we do get exhausted and we want to find meaning in our exhaustion we want to find causes
5: yeah i think absolutely i think you know the kind of stories we tell ourselves about our own exhaustion matter enormously um not just the stories even the metaphors we use to you know to visualize our what is happening inside our bodies really matters. So- you know, one of the metaphors that a lot of uh, writers about exhaustion use is the idea of the empty battery, you know, or the body as a worn-out machine that gets ever more tired the more often you use it. Um, but there were also much more interesting metaphors in use, such as, you know, in the Middle Ages, exhaustion was theorized in the context of acedia, which is the theological version of melancholia. And acedia was thought to be sinful behavior. It was thought to be um, caused by a lack of proper faith and weak willpower and so <laughs> on. So the ascetic um, monks, you know, it was mainly a condition that affected monks. Ascetic monks were, were thought to be grave sinners, and Asidia was in fact a forerunner of sloth, which was one of the deadly seven sins. Um, and in, in that period, um, the ascetic, exhausted person was uh, compared to a body, um, their body was compared to a tepid bowl of milk on which flies settle. You know, <laughs> the idea that they were too weak to, to and, and slightly rotten, <laughs> and they were too weak to fight off the flies, you know, wow. that would cause them exhaustion. And nowadays, I think we, you know, the image of, of the brain as a computer is, is very, very powerful and, and much used. So we often tend to think of our, of our, heads as overloaded computer programs. And these images really matter, because I think they shape what is happening um, inside us to a certain extent. They shape our experiences mm-hmm. and our understanding of our own exhaustion.
2: Because if your exhaustion um, is a sin, that's, boy, that would induce more exhaustion, more guilt, more...
5: Yes, absolutely. I think, I think you know... Uh, on top of feeling um, very, very exhausted, those monks um, back then were, would also probably feel very guilty about yeah. um, having given in to the temptation of you know, the noonday demon, which was thought to, to be one of the causes of exhaustion, someone who tempted them into you know, sleepiness and drowsiness and, and general weakness. Um, so, yeah, I think what, what, what is very interesting is also the, you know, these models, they they basically determine how we think of the exhausted. You know, are they responsible for their exhaustion or are they victims of something that's happening in their bodies over which they have no control? Um, do, is it certain behaviors? Do they work too hard? Do they play too hard? You know, do they yeah. indulge in excessive sexual activities? Do they... Eat a, a wrong diet, you know. Um, I think willpower and responsibility and agency really matter in those different um, in those different models as well. And if you think about burnout nowadays, in burnout the blame is very much on the system, you know. Right. It's very much on the working environment, which victimizes um, the the employee.
2: Oh, that's and I mean, I guess so. The framing of this matters, and there were times where exhaustion was a—it seems like a sign of honor, a badge of courage, because yeah, you yeah, were doing that's so much.
5: Really interesting um, staple throughout history that exhaustion tends to be associated with positive qualities, with the one big exception being the Middle Ages, where it was thought of as a sin. But in most other periods, um, the exhausted were somehow exceptional individuals. You know, they were um, the melancholics. They were often scholars or creative types, artists, um, brain workers. And, you know, the brain worker connection um remains stable throughout the centuries really and the exhausted are often thought to be people who are exceptionally sensitive exceptionally hard working exceptionally caring perfectionists and if you think about people who say, I'm so stressed or I'm burned out nowadays, that too comes with slightly positive connotations because right. that means they're very much in demand. Um, it means they have a very full life. They're very popular. You know, work can't happen without them. Um, and again, you know, a burnout diagnosis, I would say, is, is even now less stigmatized than, than a depression diagnosis.
2: It's... Uh... It really is interesting as I because I've, I've heard so many different approaches to burnout and I feel it. I feel it in my own life, like I'm being pulled five or ten different ways. And then I also look at my life is so fulfill, It's so fulfilling. I feel so um, connected and kind of in a in flow. However, it's it also it seems like there's this universal experience of humanity um, where we're tired And we wear out. And then I think what you bring up, and maybe this is your literary background, the story we tell about why we're tired determines so much of how we handle it, how we move forward with it.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, exhaustion is really something that all of us experience, Um, some of us uh, in a a very serious um, pathological form that can be very debilitating, others in a way that can be, you know that isn't very very um dramatic and that can be overcome again but you know what what you describe is also very typical certain certain stressful scenarios can also be energizing, you know, stress right. is not necessarily always bad. Um, exhaustion can also be caused by understimulation and boredom, interestingly, mm. so it's not just cognitive overload or it's not just a very, very full life that can cause that exhaustion. It, it, exhaustion can really be caused by all sorts of things. And Again, I think what is really important is, is balance, uh, keeping a sense of balance. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from from Eastern cultures, which you know, which have a much more um, clearly defined concept of human energy, and they have many more strategies in place to uh, to foster and to enhance their energy levels. So a lot of relaxation techniques and a lot of you know energy recu- recuperation strategies are actually um, from Eastern cultures, where where they take energy. And you know, and the care of care of human energy, I think much more seriously mm-hmm. than we do yeah
2: and if if you had to kind of wrap up your uh your message and and really I always call it the one thing, Anna, what's the one thing we all need to know about exhaustion uh, going forward?
5: yeah, I would say. You are not alone. <laughs> yeah. We are not alone in feeling exhausted. Um, and, and it has really been a universal anxiety that can be traced throughout history all the way back to class- classical antiquity. And I think that's reassuring because that somehow makes our own suffering a little bit less special and a little bit less concerning. I think mm. each period um, has to face its own demons and its own unique stressors, and, um, and they are, of course, unique, but um, every period has dealt with its own share of, of stressful circumstances, yeah. and I think there are, there's a lot to learn from history.
2: Yeah, no, and I think that's, the, that's such the, the point, I think, and uh, we appreciate your insight. Dr. Anna-Katharina Schaffner, again, the book is Exhaustion, a History. You're not alone, folks. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You are not alone, and it goes back... Oh, isn't that good news? You're normal. Now, what are you going to do about it? It Depends how you frame it. What story do you want to write? We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, lighten your exhaustion load a little bit, playing a little game. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, back to
1: school. Back to school. To prove to dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope
3: I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school. That's
2: the back to school song. Back
7: to school.
2: You know, (laughs) everybody loves back to school time.
7: Well. Everybody. Moms and dads.
2: It is the greatest time of the year. And it's so fun to watch my kids getting up early, stressing about their homework. So we thought we'd play a little game. And who better to help us game this up than Caitlin Thomas uh. Uh, dating the little drummer boy. The, the, the actual guy that <laughs> is in the drummer boy.
7: Well, I mean, he plays drums.
2: He's not little. He's a big stud. Um, anyway, don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> Talk to us. By the way, I brought it up, obviously, because there's no rhyme or reason today.
7: Matt, it's the most...
2: This is your Wonderful favorite commercial. Wonderful
7: time of the year. This is my favorite back to school commercial.
2: And what's the well, Whose commercial is this? Is it What's the brand on the commercial? It's, I don't know. Let's say Target. It's Let's say
7: Target. Target. Grand Somebody. Target.
2: And they're running, and Mom the parents and Dad, are excited.
7: They're throwing school supplies in the cart, <laughs> and they're playing this song. Meanwhile...
2: The kids are hating it.
7: Kids are sitting there pouting, just like, I hate this. That's good. That's good. So the best.
2: what's the game we will play? We'll how, play what's back to the back-to-school back school school game? Okay. Actually,
7: this might not be so fun for parents, because this is going to have some questions on how much money you spend Oh boy! On oh, geez! But here we go. Okay. So true or false? These are true or false. Matt, okay. Crayola produces nearly three billion crayons each year. True or false?
2: Ah, uh, True. True. <laughs> Three billion
7: crayons every year.
2: Well that's really only about
7: But think of how many kids there are buying 600
2: crayons. Six hundred million crayons, but you have to make five different colors and right. whatever. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot boy crayola's
4: got. Do you have deal. any statistics on how many crayons have been swallowed?
7: I no. We could look that up though. <laughs> Red is the most popular crayon color. True or false.
2: I will say false.
7: False. It's good. It's actually blue. Is it really? Yeah. What would you have guessed?
2: Black. Because you outline your pictures in black, you've got yep. to frame your picture. <laughs> okay.
7: Back to school spending is supposed to reach an estimated $75.8 billion this year.
2: Back to school spending $75.8 billion, billion. I would say. True.
7: True. That is how much money will be spent on school supplies. That is a lot of money. And, like, school fees? Ugh. Free education, <laughs> Never mind. Free education is, is not free! Billion. Wow. A pencil can write 45,000 words or draw a line 35 miles long and will write in zero gravity, upside down, or underwater.
2: True, true, true. On the last three, I would say true.
7: All of that is True. Did you know pencil. that your pencils are that powerful. How
2: long can how many how long can the line be?
7: Thirty-five miles long.
2: Holy cow! You'd have it, you have to sharpen it, of course. Sharpen it. That's that's good news. It's
7: pretty good. Back this is to an school easy quiz. and back to college spending serves as the biggest consumer spending event for retailers, with the winter holidays coming in second.
2: So is this bigger than? So is it winter? bigger than
7: Christmas spending?
2: No. False.
7: False, true. Winter spending comes in first, but school spending is second.
2: That's good to know, because I didn't want, like, Easter spending or Halloween spending to be more. Okay,
7: that's good. What else? Christmas and back to school. That's crazy. In the U.S., 40 million students carry a backpack.
2: (sighs) 40 million students carry a backpack. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's... They could drag a backpack, too, because a lot of those backpacks are
4: heavy. I would say...
2: False.
7: False. What's your guess?
4: Uh more.
7: Yeah, 79 million.
4: Matt, were you a two-strapper
2: or a one-strapper? Pardon? Pardon? The backpack.
4: Like oh. a
7: double backpack or like the uh,
2: sling across your chest? Backpack? I was a double backpacker until I then went to the sling backpack. It just depends on my age.
4: Cuz there was a brief time when you weren't cool unless you only wore one a strap. One strap. Or like hey, it was a two strap backpack, but you only wore one of the yeah. straps. That's, I did that a lot.
7: Yeah, but seventy nine million kids carrying a backpack. You wonder why our posture is so bad. My mom gets right. mad at me, but I'm like, have you felt the weight of my backpack?
2: You know what? I started a trend in my high school where I put the backpack on my front and made it a front pack,
7: <laughs> and
2: uh, that everyone thought I was pregnant.
7: Matt, this
2: is what have. You have, con- you have uh,
7: immediate you access. Not cool.
2: uh, this is why I got,
4: it. We it felt got- like a kangaroo. Right.
7: <laughs> got one more for you. According to the National Retail Federation's 2013 Back to School Survey, families with school-aged children will spend an average of $634.78 on apparel, shoes, supplies, and
2: electronics. $638 per person? Just
7: families with school-aged children will spend an average of $634.78 on apparel, shoes, supplies, uh, and electronics.
2: That seems false.
7: Now, that is true. What? On average, that is how much you will spend on school supplies slash school clothes and shoes.
4: You know what, though? In a year. I, that's
7: crazy. I added
4: oh, in up your year. total? that was You only got one wrong. I know.
7: Hey, you did pretty good
8: today. I almost ran the table.
7: Matt's the winner. There you have it, though. Wow, that's it. So a- it is the most wonderful time for uh, the year because your kids are gone, but that's look at how much quiz. money you're coughing out for them.
2: Plus, we were just playing Andy Williams. <laughs>
7: yeah. That's crazy. Stuff.
2: Yeah, that's a lot of money yeah. spent on our cute little kids.
7: So that they can look so that they can be the best dressed student in their classroom. See,
2: right there is why we that we call this no rhyme or reason day. Oh. There's no rhyme or reason to spend seven hundred dollars on kids. That idea is just the worst.
7: True. But for some reason we feel this attachment. We want our kids to have the cutest clothes and the cutest shoes. Don't
2: Did you just hear a voice? <laughs> Because I don't know if did that was – I don't know if everyone heard that or was that someone talking to me?
7: Matt, is your conscience talking?
4: It's a good thing you're going into the doctor.
2: You didn't hear a voice, did you? No. Talking about that oh. idea was the worst? That must have just been in my head.
7: <laughs> <sighs> well, good luck sending your kids back to school.
2: No rhyme or reason for that. No, Thanks, Caitlin. There, good quiz. I like yeah, quizzes. I almost, had, I, almost, I almost
4: ran like the whole table. I Matt's
7: brain. He sits here for three hours. He needs to work his brain.
4: I
2: stood for a minute and I got all winded.
4: Well, he's wearing that <laughs> collar so there are more fluids yeah.
2: flowing to his brain.
7: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to
2: start wearing my Q collar <laughs> so I don't get concussions in the show.
7: <laughs> That's a great idea because that happens often.
2: <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> how many times I've fallen bring out of Stepana this show.
7: back in here to talk about <laughs> head concussions again. We ought
2: to. I could. Anyway. We
7: Concussions in the office.
2: We've got a uh, we got a lot to talk about. Next hour, we will be getting into what you do as a parent with your kids and how it might be impacting uh, their success or not. So, uh, not just all the school stuff you got to do, but are the ways that you parent your kids sabotaging their own success in school? We'll get to that with Heather Ann Johnson, plus uh, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be with us next hour, of course. And we're going to talk about a. a an employee that stole 6.7 million dollars in ink printer cartridges big money stay with us folks this is the matt townsend show helping you live longer love stronger and make it through the uh, start of school season we'll be
0: right back This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: And we're back, friends. Hour number three of the program. If you happen to have missed the first two, shame on you. You missed some great stuff. We talked to uh, Mo Pluto about a possible uh, extinction level asteroid you're going to want to go listen to that he's got a plan the planet Pluto we call him mo for his name's Maurice uh, he's, he's he wants to build a wall around the around the earth to keep all of the bad foreign uh, objects from getting in
4: but he wants to let the good asteroids come into the atmosphere
2: yeah and I didn't know there were good and bad ones, um, but I, it seems like the wall won't cut it. It's just, it would just basically create a ring around the world and you just would fire it over the wall. So it may not be an, a fix that would work because it seems like we could go under the wall or over the wall, you know, and maybe the asteroids could go under or over the wall as well or sneak in some other way. I'm just saying, Mo Pluto needs to think about it.
4: I'd be surprised if he came back again. You think? On the show. Was he that mad? He didn't seem as mad as he was the first time. I think he's just getting used to
2: us. It's hard to work with these planets, especially the dwarf planet. They just... mm, It's tough. We've got a great show. Uh, We will be getting in a few minutes, getting some insight and in-depth information about how you as a parent might be making it a little harder for your kids in school. You might be sabotaging their, your children's success. We'll want to get to that, plus um, some other interesting you know, little bits of information, including a woman that stole a $6.7 million worth of ink, printer ink, cartridges basically, from her company. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And uh, we'll be talking about that. Plus, today, also a day to celebrate No Rhyme or Reason Day. Woo-hoo. Which means whatever we say, whatever we do, no rhyme or reason. It's also letter writing day. And we challenge you to go write a letter to someone you care about. It'll blow their mind. And then put it in the mail. Find a stamp. Change everything. Don't just text today. <sighs> but first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the country?
7: Talk about this morning. An explosion rocked a SpaceX launch site this morning during a routine rocket test. SpaceX was conducting a test firing of its unmanned rocket when the blast occurred shortly after 9 a.m. The test was in advance of a planned Saturday launch from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, which is next to NASA's Kennedy Space Center. Buildings several miles away shook from the blast and multiple explosions continued for several minutes. Dark smoke filled the overcast sky. A half hour later, a black cloud hung low across the eastern horizon. Additional details were not immediately available. There was no immediate word on any injuries. The launch pad usually is cleared before a test firing of a SpaceX Falcon rocket. A federal ban on the sale of guns to holders of medical marijuana cards does not violate the Second Amendment, a federal appeals court said on Wednesday. The ruling by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco came in a lawsuit filed by S. Rowan Wilson, a Nevada woman who said she tried to buy a firearm for self-defense in 2011 2011, after having obtained a medical marijuana card. The gun store refused, citing the federal rule banning the sale of firearms to illegal drug users. Marijuana remains... Illegal under federal law and the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives has told gun sellers they can assume that a person with a medical marijuana card uses the drug. And lastly, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed yesterday that frozen strawberries imported from Egypt are the cause of an outbreak of hepatitis A spanning six states. The outbreak was initially traced to smoothies from certain tropical smoothie cafe restaurants, but upon further investigation, the CDC deduced that the imported berries in the smoothies were the cause. An estimated 55 people have gotten sick, with the majority of those cases in Virginia, where the outbreak originated. Huh. So. So,
2: don't eat smoothies. Don't smoothies. eat smoothies. Smoothies are evil. That's it's funny because I always thought they were really healthy.
7: I. That's not if your strawberries co- are the yeah the strawberries come from Egypt.
2: Yeah, if they're contaminated, that's a
7: that's problem. The problem. But
2: How do you know if your strawberries come from Egypt? Ask. Their accent could be. Maybe there's a... Uh, Didn't Donald Trump have a moratorium on strawberries from Egypt? No. Maybe someday. <laughs> if you claim that your strawberries
4: from Egypt are not bad for you, then you are just in denial.
2: <laughs> We're just denying. I mean, because aren't some strawberries from Egypt good strawberries and some strawberries bad strawberries? Well, that was a joke. Denial. In
4: that denial. case, denial isn't just yeah, a river I got in it. Egypt. It's just... So. Thank you.
3: Man, when you have to walk out the joke. Well, I, it, it, a joke um, would be funny. Not always. Sometimes it's just clever. Yeah. And he didn't really have to work for that. are you the one,
2: Terry, that always, when someone says, oh, I've got to tell you that was something that was so funny, then you're always like, well, no, that wasn't funny. Yeah. Or when
3: they go, fun fact, it's really not fun, usually a fact, but mm, not interesting. Even hardly a fact. Yeah. Or little
4: candy bars that are called fun size. I would have more fun yeah. if it was bigger. Yeah, They're not fun.
2: Nothing fun there. That's just a lot of work, a lot of excess. Hey, um, we got to get to a really important story. Of course, on the show, we try to help people live healthier lives, happier lives, and We want you to be honest, too, in your dealings with your fellow man. Uh, One way to do that is don't steal, right? Don't steal. Can't. Las Vegas woman stole printer ink worth $6,700,000. That's a lot of ink. Jennifer McCain Bray. Worked as a purchasing agent for the Las Vegas Valley Water District, a public utility. She ordered millions of dollars of extra printer ink and toner. They would bring it. They would deliver it. And then she would ship it off to New Jersey and resell it. And she pocketed a lot of money. You know, until the FBI put up a big stink about the ink. Right. And then. They gave her a slip, the color of pink. Maybe she didn't think. No, just she's just got to think. Without a nod and a wink. Until some rat think turned her in.
3: No more rhymes now,
5: I mean it.
7: Anybody want to feel it?
5: Yeah!
2: Today, folks, again, no rhyme or reason. No rhyme or reason day. It's the unofficial holiday dedicated to the English language idiom, no rhyme or reason, which means something that occurs without any purpose or explanation. Like right there when I just took an ink story and turned it into a rhymeathon. You know,
4: I actually did some digging and I found some audio. I, I think this woman knew that she was going to be fired. Uh-huh. And so she turned on her iPhone, which everybody does these days. So if, you've yeah. got audio of
2: yeah. the actual firing.
4: Yeah. Let's hear. Here we
2: go. I am going to have to let you go.
7: What? Why?
2: Why? Well, theft. And stealing.
7: Stealing? Are you serious? Yeah, I am. Oh, I can't believe this. I mean, I've never even stolen as much as a paperclip, and now you're firing me.
2: But the best thing about it is that, uh, we're not going to have to give you any severance pay. Because that is gross misconduct, and, uh, I just clean out your desk. I'm sorry. That voice sounds so familiar. Sounds is like that, you. Is that Michael Scott from The Office? That seems like Michael Scott and Pam. That uh, no. I don't think that was that was not audio. That from was genuine. It was genuine audio from The Office. Michael Scott. Yeah. You just stole.
4: Those are real crickets too.
2: You just stole Michael Scott's lines. That's I thought you had real audio. I thought you well, went out and recorded the actual firing of this woman. Wasn't this a story on theft? Yeah. Lesson learned, folks. Lesson learned. It is no rhyme or reason day. And end scene. Okay. We just taught you a lesson about stealing. It comes in all shapes and sizes, all forms. Now, speaking of stealing, Terry, take it away. What? What? (laughs) Who? You should just
3: take it away. For what reason? I just was turning it over to you to do your thing. We've had a guest on recently about presidential transitions. Remember that guy? Talking about the importance yeah, right. of, uh, of having some plans you so that once you are elected, you can start planning ahead so mm-hmm. you're ready to go. Clinton and Trump's transition teams right. are in the exact same building in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's embarrassing. They make awkward neighbors, This says. Both candidates' transition teams working in the same office building near the White House trying to keep a lid on their secrets – both transition teams have warned members not to talk to reporters or discuss sensitive business in the elevators or corridors. The hallway bathrooms <laughs> now have locks on them. So you can't overhear anyone talking. Yeah. They're in there. Good. And two sources familiar with the process said they expect both teams to conduct sensitive meetings off site to avoid tipping off what they're working on, which includes crafting internal policy documents and vetting potential candidates for thousands of government jobs. It's the first time in history that two opposing transition teams are working out of the same government-provided office building. Well, did the real estate agents not say something? It's a consequence of new laws meant to formalize preparations for the handoff of presidential power. Yeah. So the laws are set up that they, the government will provide some office space. <laughs> just happens to be in the same building. In the same room. So it's the first time they've ever had this 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 specific situation. Wow, that's... Embarrassing.
2: So you can see little office hijinks going on. Totally. Speaking of uh, embarrassing, what if you are a teenage girl and, I mean, it's rare. You've seen those little baby swings, the kid swings that you put your kid in, the legs are already set. And, well, these this teenage girl in Great Britain, I, I guess a, a girl cl- got trapped in one of these swings. This was at a playground. At a playground. You know, the the full,
3: you have the the normal swing, but then you have like the baby swing, which has like a full seat. Not
2: meant for a 14-year-old girl. (laughs) Right. Meant for just a tiny baby. And so the firefighters in Wolverhampton, England, responded over the weekend to a local playground report. One 14-year-old girl got trapped in the swing, designed for the baby, of course. And then another fire department... About one hour away, had a report of another teenage girl getting trapped in the same—I mean, in the, in the same type of swing. What is the deal? The photographs look very painful. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it's an easy fix. I'm stuck.
6: Janice, I'm stuck. Ah, this, hurts. this hurts. This
4: hurts. This hurts. Listen to Janice laugh. She doesn't seem all that concerned.
6: <laughs>
2: Man, who needs a who needs an enemy when you got a friend like Janice? Right. Was that a girl's voice? So you have to go eat the jaws of life. And yeah. that's
3: how they get the child out. And then you cut up a swing. Perfectly good swing. They're expensive. I priced one out because my kid wanted one when right. he was really small. Really? Yeah. And I went, no, nah, he'll just learn how to swing. Yeah. go give him this training wheel just man swing,
2: up. Huh? Right. Don't he'll worry.
3: He'll ask for another one when he's 14.
2: Yeah. Apparently. Apparently it's a trend. There's, no, there's my two. kids are now asking for a Vespa. They want a scooter. Why? Uh, Dad, we need a Vespa just to get us around. Then you wouldn't have to come pick us up at night. We could just take the Vespa. They need a Vespa. No, they have to have one because all of their rich friends have them. Mm. And I'm like, you can't have a Vespa. You'll get... A ticket, you'll be arrested. Isn't that a coffee Vespa? I think that's a Venta. Oh, hmm. Vespa's different. Same high though. It pumps you up. So, are you currently looking no. for? No, I told them. I I just showed them videos of motorcycle accidents. Mm, nice. And they're like, okay. But, but those people weren't smart <laughs> like we are, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. So no, no Vespa for no Vespa, family. No Vespa. No right. Vespa for you.
3: I'm the Vespa Nazi, the soup Nazi. So you're kind of mean. You're a mean father, not helping your children. Well,
2: A, I don't want to buy one. Yeah. Actually, I do want one, but I don't want anyone to ride it but me and my wife.
3: Mm. You know, just because i was a, kid, a biker guy. When I was a kid, my dad promised me his moped. Really? Then he sold it. Dad lied. He also promised me his 62 uh, Malibu, which was a pretty sweet car. Yeah. He sold that. He had a 65 cherry red, white, white hardtop Nova, just sweet car, sold that. Nova. He kept promising me all these vehicles and then selling them. And then he has the gall to blame it on the fact that kids are expensive.
2: Dad.
4: Seriously. You know what I don't like about mopeds? One of those words that you look at it and you think, oh, it's moped. But then you sound foolish like kernel is looks like colonel.
2: Yeah. That's how
4: you pronounce it. Oh, you're fine. Just then,
3: pronounce that. And one. then it was generally confusing. It has a motor on it, but pedals. Yeah, Who's going to pedal that? No.
2: Yeah, that's weird. It's just, but now it's the, they just want to look hot. Anyway, not to bring you my problems,
8: but I just did.
2: Hey, it's a no rhyme or reason day. So I brought that up got a lot of fun still left folks uh, heather johnson will be joining us had we call her she's uh she's here to talk about how we sabotage our children's success in school you got to watch out for that plus the good brethren at byu sports nation will be joining us finding out what's up on their show at the top of the hour and then our hero story of course stick with us folks so much more to learn this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Heather Ann Johnson's here. Hatch, we call her. You're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. That is not Madge. Madge is, you know, the old uh, uh, Palmolive lady, I think, that you'd have to soak your hands in, but... Heather we like to soak in. She gives us parenting skills, tools. She works as a professor here at BYU and is um has self-published a book Family Fun Fridays. Her job is to teach us how to be how to create a great family and a great family culture, a great family environment. She also has a wonderful website familyvolley.com, a wonderful resource for all of us. Today we're talking sabotaging our children's success in school. Apparently we're not doing something right.
0: Now, uh, apparently, do we, do? we can make some mistakes, unfortunately, right?
2: My kids tell me that all the time.
0: <laughs> they tell you you're messing up? Yeah.
2: Like, Dad, you need to focus on parenting more.
0: <laughs> that's always what you love to hear. It's kind of rude. Let's hope it's coming from your teenagers. <laughs> it
2: is. And they, that's usually right when they say, I want to, we need a Vespa.
0: Right, right. I heard that. Not to be confused with, I loved the uh, coffee drink.
2: Yeah. Right. Not to be Aventi. confused. Aventi. Aventi? Yeah. A Venti? Yeah. Yeah. Not to be confused with that. But they just think, you know, we're not doing enough.
0: Yeah. And until we
2: do a lot, then they're like, "You're doing too much."
0: Well, and isn't it funny because a lot to them, they want you to do the stuff like buy them the Vespa, not the stuff like help them get better right. grades yeah. or
2: and, and hold them accountable. Right. 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 Take their that's phone true. when they're not doing right. what they're supposed when, to be
0: doing. <laughs> when they're getting Fs, mm-hmm. right? I know that's yeah. always ours. It's like that phone's all yours until. Your grades drop, and then by all means, the phone's ours.
2: Right, the phone will be ours. Yeah,
0: it's ours. So we do lots of things, unfortunately, that kind of sabotage. We're we're back into the the routine of school. Our kids are back, whether we're homeschooling them or they're in school. And there's things we do that, I don't know, set them up for failure instead of success, right? And oftentimes it's because, well, one, as parents, we're in this very tricky place because we know what the future holds and Mm -hmm. we have to prepare them for it. But at the same time, we've got to somehow figure out how to get them to do it now
2: on their Yeah. And on their own. Right. When they don't naturally want to do it on their own.
0: Absolutely. And they don't understand the repercussions of not doing it on their that own. That <laughs>
2: seems that's the rub of this whole parenting thing.
0: It is. It is. It's it's kind of really the thorn in all of our sides. It's like, how in the world am I going to get you to a successful adult when right now you have no comprehension of what that might be. Right. Like? And, and, that, and it's hard.
2: we think we want to do it for them. But right. it's really we don't want them coming back.
0: No, we don't. We don't. We and, want to
2: send them on their way and then let them succeed.
0: Right, and we want to look good while we're sending them on their way. Yeah, and sometimes these mistakes we make them because we're so worried about what other people are going to think. It's so true. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to be the parent who's you know kid has potential and is failing biology, and I don't want to be the parent who you know kid is always in trouble. We don't right. want those things.
2: You don't want a parent by polls. Right. <laughs> Is what it's you're true. saying? It's true. We shouldn't wonder what the Joneses are doing to handle their children. We can learn from them, but it shouldn't dictate what we do. So if everyone right. in the neighborhood has a Vespa, right? It doesn't mean we should. It
0: doesn't. By no, it doesn't. Okay. Good. In fact, it might mean more. You don't need a Vespa. Yeah. I mean, just
2: borrow your neighbors. <laughs> there you
0: go. If you. How got... many Vespas do we need?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so true. Can you
0: fit two people on a bike? Huh, I you mean, can, come totally on.
2: Totally can. I mean, yeah. In if basket? they go down, two go down. But
0: They're, it's all right. They're going to go know, down anyway. Wear a helmet. <laughs> You'll be fine. So we want to stop first thinking about how we're going to look when it comes to parenting, especially when it comes to our children's success. It's time to really just take a step back and say, you know what? I'm going to do what's best for us regardless of what anyone else thinks. And the first place we're going to start is we have to stop nagging and lecturing our kids.
2: It doesn't work.
0: It doesn't work. But it's our go-to always, yeah. right? And the thing is, we usually don't start nagging our kids about their homework or their schoolwork until there's a problem. right? And this is also a problem because when everything is fine, we have nothing to say. But all of <laughs> a sudden so something true. goes wrong and we've got a 45-minute lecture that's just been burning yeah. inside of us that we want to deliver.
2: Well, and with a really good story from our, from our past. It's
0: exactly right. From our own childhood where we probably figured it out right or... Right. And so now they have to hear it. The longer we talk to them, the faster their eyes glaze, the quicker uh, we lose them, yeah. the more distant they become. They're not there to do that. It won't – remember, we're talking about the things that sabotage their success in school. Lecturing them is not going to help them be more successful in school. That's right? a great. Let me. I'm writing that so, down. <laughs> so you think of it this way. It will make them angry. They'll tune us out. So instead, this is what we're going to do. Instead of lecturing or nagging, we're going to problem solve with them. So if there's something going on, if they're doing poorly, if they need help, if something you know is, is not okay, we're going to ask them to come up with several ideas for how they can work through or improve the situation. Mm. Not us. We're not going to tell them. We're not going to lecture them on how we did it. First, ask them. Obviously, this F is not acceptable. <laughs> we're not there's, taking that. There's a problem here. What do you think could be done? What are your ideas on how we can bring this grade up or – change this. and get
2: them talking get instead them of talking. us lecturing
0: right and remember at this point when we're probably struggling with our kids in school as they start to get older the better job we can do at getting them to feel like they came up with the ideas whether they did or not mm-hmm. if we can get them to think that they came up with it they're much more likely than to subscribe to that idea and follow it's their yeah it. it's
2: their issue their idea right they're gonna they're
0: gonna own it yeah so you're going to have them problem solve brainstorm how to make homework more fun brainstorm how to change that grade Ask them, what is it What is it that you need? What can we do here? Let them come up with those ideas. Yeah, that's cool. Now, the key is once they do, you got to run with them. And oftentimes, we have to let them choose something like that and work through it with them. And they might find out it, it wasn't that great of an idea. Yeah. And oftentimes, they'll either choose another one or they'll come to us and say, you know what? I... I tried that and it's not working. I don't know. What do you think? That's and cool. And then by all means, open your mouth. Then once Then you've been invited. It's exactly right. Once they invite you, that means they're ready and they trust you enough that you can talk to them.
2: And that's the cool thing too is that may take two or three weeks, but right. you can have an accountability date line. So we'll just check every Friday. Right. And if your grades haven't changed, then we'll reevaluate. Right. So let's do your plan this week and then we'll check Friday.
0: And see where and we're see at. What,
2: and then what happens is... We'll we'll make a plan.
0: Right. And sometimes Friday comes and nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And again, they're going to say, well, nothing's changed. And whether it's in desperation or whether they finally recognize, oh, wow, my mom and dad might know some stuff mm-hmm. I don't. Heaven yeah. forbid. Heaven Whenever for you're bed. ready,
2: I've got a really good idea. <laughs> I, I've
0: kind of lived like 35 years longer than you. So if you want yeah. some of that wisdom, yeah, let me sure. hit you with it. But the, the lecturing and nagging, it won't bring better grades. No. It won't help them. And even in the short term, if we get some sort of response, in the long run, we have not set them up to be more successful. So right. we've got to stop. We got to quit. It's good. Okay, the next thing we have to quit doing is we have to stop taking over. Now, this is my go to in my head for me personally because there's a lot going on. Somebody needs help or I don't like the way it's being done. And immediately when it comes to school stuff, it's like, here, just hand it to me. Yeah. Let me help. Let mama do it. Do this, this, and this, and you'll be done. Or we have 12 seconds. Write that, write that. It's an F. Just write yeah. the F, write the G, yeah. F, and we're done. But the more we take over, the more we tie their hands for their future success. Right. So we have to stop taking over. If that means you have to simplify your life so there's more time to allow them to do things, then do it. Do it. If it means we have to you know, untie ourselves from them and let them fall just like we let them climb, then we have to do that. Hmm. But we have to stop taking over and telling them what they should do. It's time for them to decide. Now, otherwise, like you joked at the beginning, we're going to have a 40-year-old back in our basement.
2: Right. Mom, what should I do with this? That's exactly How right. How do I
0: do the check in the bank <laughs> thing? Yeah. And you're going, checks. Yeah. So we have to let them do that. So there's a couple things that we can do when it comes to taking over. And these are questions we like to ask our kids again to kind of set up a plan so they can learn to solve their own issues. There's four of them. We always ask, what will you do? When will you do it? How will I know? And how do you want me to hold you accountable for this? Mm. So if you hear them again, what will you do? When will you do it? How will you, how will I know? And how do you want me to hold you accountable for this?
6: Good. So
0: if you think about those questions, it just, and you don't, I mean, we're not working word for word. None of that matters when you're talking to them as much as your willingness to look at them and say, I'm not going to take this over for you. How can we go about it? What can you do? When can you do that? How am I going to know that you're actually doing it, yeah. right? How how am I going to hold you accountable right. for that? A very simple process, but now you've put control completely in their hands. They don't feel controlled. You take a step back, but you also in your mind as a parent have peace of mind because you know there's a plan in, well, in you've, place. Well, you you've
2: put success in their hands mm-hmm. and but you've also put failure, and both are important.
0: Absolutely. And we've also given ourselves the comfort of knowing that we are very much involved, but we're involved in the right way right. instead of that. Just give me your paper. I'll write with my left hand and I'll yeah. finish that spelling for you let mama
2: fake it for you <laughs> right
0: it's exactly right which i'll be honest like i said i i often have that thought it's like this first of all is not doing you any good. just give it to me i'll we'll be done in two seconds yeah yeah we can't we can't do that no you're, do that.
2: you're handicapping them we are let's take a break we are speaking with heather ann johnson hadge we call her and uh, guess what she's teaching us how not to sabotage our children's success if you wrote the assignment with your left hand it's your success it's not their success We'll be right back, folks. Learning how to parent 101. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. A little bit of darkness for you as we get back to (laughs) Heather Ann Johnson. That is uh that's the Beastie Boys Sabotage.
0: That 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 took me back a little bit. Did it? Yeah, that's.
2: Did your parents let you listen to that not stuff? Not
0: so much, but I mean, stuff's on the radio, so I'm I've got some like Yeah. I shouldn't date myself, but No, go ahead. Some No, it's okay. <laughs> some some high school flashbacks <laughs> a little bit there. I've heard that song before.
2: You know what? Great. We were just talking about tennis. Um I found something really valuable if you want to use it in your tennis game. Let's hear it. Take music. Okay. Practicing tennis with music, whole Im- different thing.
0: Improves your game.
2: Oh my heavens! Really? It really does. And because my kids were taking lessons while we were playing, and the coach was playing music, and then I talked to him about the psychology of it, and he said it takes your mind off of your swing, your your uh, your tennis moves. Oh wow. How you hit the ball and you just get into the music and then all of a sudden you're hitting more naturally.
0: Well, that's good to know. There we go. Thanks. I appreciate that tip. But
2: you got to choose the right music. Yeah. I wouldn't choose yeah. <laughs> the Beastie Boys. Not that there's anything wrong with that.
0: I'm not, I'm not sure that's I of... go with the
2: classics. Myself. Right. <laughs> so we were talking with Heather Ann Johnson from FamilyVolley.com about how not to sabotage your children's success. So far, you've taught us we got to lose the lectures yep. instead, teach them problem solving and stop talking uh uh, over, what had you said? Stop Take,
0: just taking oh, stop over, taking doing over it for
2: them. everything for them, and let them build their own plan with you,
0: right? And, and let them manage it. Absolutely, and let them be in charge. And remember, this isn't a teenager we're working with. This starts right away. We're yeah. talking about very young children. You can use these same. I mean, our two-year-old doesn't want to lecture, just like our fourteen-year-old right. or our eighteen-year-old doesn't, right? I don't
2: know very many people that want to lecture.
0: Not so much. We as, don't. As
2: a guy that lectures a lot. <laughs> but not it's, a lot of people our, want that our
0: default we don't know what to do or we don't know what questions to ask or we don't know how to set them up and so as a result we go to the only thing we know yeah. right and so we yeah. do that so a couple other things it's really important that we stop focusing on the future benefits of school and i know this sounds strange but for me and even the way i teach it with my students is we have to stay centered and this is where we started our discussion today it's so tricky because in our home, I know – my husband knows what our kids need to do in order to be successful, to get into college, to get a good you know, job. Right. We know those things. But if I'm constantly hitting them with that when I'm helping them with school, instead of focusing on what's happening right in front of them, I've lost them. Right. Right? And so uh, I can even remember specifically our son. He was probably in second grade and he was just learning basic multiplication. And he was sitting in front of me and he couldn't, two plus or two times two was not making any sense. Hmm. And we used, you know, candy and beans and blocks and I'd just been through it all and it wasn't quite clicking yet. And I looked at him eventually and I said, Hey, buddy, if you don't get this, you are never going to get into college. How are
2: you going to graduate and get a job? It's
0: over. And he looked at me and he was like, What are you taught? I just am trying to figure out this stupid two times two. I call it... I mean, he, the only thing... I'm not thing- going to
2: college for <laughs> 15 years, Mom. Well, the
0: only thing really... A- a second grader knows about colleges in our home is that that's where his mom goes to teach right, some people. He right. knew he had no concept of what that was. And so as soon as I said that in his mind, the thought is she's not even listening. what I'm talking about she's college, crazy. it is. So as silly as it sounds, we have to stay centered. Yes, yeah. it's our job to set them up so that future success comes. But we've got to stay centered in the moment so they know we're actually on track. With that's them.
2: great advice. So We've
0: got to stay very centered. Other things. It's funny. We insist as parents on long study sessions, that feeling of you will sit here until that work's done, right? right? Or you're the one who procrastinated. You don't get up until all that homework's done. That's how many times? Sit and take it. It's exactly right. Right. If we treat them that way, we will lose them. That does not help them be successful in school. Instead, have your children work 10 to 15 minutes, then give them a five-minute break, and then have them come back 10 to 15 minutes. Repeat that until the homework is done. Doesn't
2: that actually help retention? It helps. It creates more synapses in the brain. They actually draw more uh, parallels, more lines, right. more connections in their brain, which means they'll retain it.
0: Absolutely. And that's proven. That's not just – these are fun numbers. That's good. But if you'll sit them down instead – so so lose the – sit there until you're done. Right you know, sometimes I want to say to our our son is learning to manage, you know, in high school, different days, different classes, all of that. And, you know, when I can see that one day he's got a light load and in my mind I'm going, but tomorrow's heavy, do yeah. some extra work today. Get ahead. Yeah, We'll get to that second day where maybe he hasn't chosen that on his own and he's got four hours of homework. And our first thought is, we'll sit there till it's Don't you get up. Told you so. Know this, know that until it's done. Don't approach it that way. That won't set them up Mm -mm. for success. So 10 to 15 on, five minutes off. What they do in that time can be up to them. Lots of times if you can make it more productive, getting energy out, being more physical, getting a snack, going for a walk, it will help them.
2: Huge. And make it a fun space. I remember high school going over to a girl's house and there'd be 10 of them there studying. But they were actually studying. Right. (laughs) But it was such a great environment that you wanted to go there. And so I never studied. Right. Amazing. And – but when I'd go there, I had to study because I had to pretend like I was studying. Right, right. I didn't really study. I was just pretending. It was okay because there were 10 girls there. A a great environment
0: and then a break. Then we could all
2: laugh, then – Get back to work.
0: Then get back to work. Huge. And we know that too. I mean, if we think back to whether it was our study days or things now, it, it's really, you know, we hear it called, Covey calls it sharpening the saw where you give it what you have, but then you get up and you take that break and you sharpen right. your saw so you can go back and you can attack it. Good with stuff.
2: More. Give us one more. What's one uh,
0: more? One, one more tip. More. Uh, you know what? This is a basic one, but we sabotage our kids when we don't communicate with their teachers. Yeah. And I'll give you top three questions. It's really important we have a relationship with them, not just at parent-teacher conferences. But if you want to know what question you should ask your, your child's teacher, the most important question is ask your the teachers how your child is doing socially. Huh. We never go for that one. We are very quick to say what are their grades, yeah. you know, those types of things. The very first question you want to ask a, a teacher is how is my child doing socially? That then opens up and answers nearly every other Mm -hmm. question if you will ask that so if you don't have a relationship with your child's teacher you need to go get one that's that's high school too. make those connections it also shows your kids that you care right and it also gives you the knowledge you need to stay on top of helping them instead of you being the kind of idiot in the background that yeah i don't know what you're doing i don't know what you're taking right i love that but ask how are they doing socially it will give you all those other answers you need
2: Man, Heather, you did it again. That's cool. Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Go to her website, familyvolley.com, where you can get all of her latest and greatest. Also, you can check out her blog, um, which is on the site as well. She's got it all, folks. Good to have you.
0: Thanks. Good to be here.
2: Keep up the great work. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit the Good Brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We are back, folks, with our good friends from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, John man. Hello, Matthew. The spirit of
9: Harambe is alive.
2: The spirit of Harambe is alive. (laughs) That's such a strange thing to bring up.
9: It's a hot topic, Matt.
2: Is it?
10: Yep. Well, it's it's fun to see. There's always random shout-outs, too. Harambe. <laughs> well, like, according
9: to the Philadelphia like, Zoo, yeah. Yeah. they have been inundated with suggestions to
2: name its newborn baby gorilla Harambe. <laughs> really? Harambe Dos. Harambe Dos. El Segundo. <laughs> the second. Um, I did not realize people were still – I've got to get out there more. My, my peeps, uh, my peeps, my close people, they, they're not bringing up Harambe much.
9: I went to the the Coldplay (laughs) concert last night and there were a bunch of signs. And Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, was like, you know, I've seen a lot of great signs on this tour (laughs) as I've been around. But I think the one with the shout out to Harambe might be the greatest that I have seen (laughs) thus far.
10: That
2: is so great. I've got to bring up more Harambe. We're going to do a piece on Harambe. Okay. That's the
10: legacy of Harambe.
2: Hey, do you guys know, I know Jerem knows, today we're celebrating a a very special anniversary at BYU.
10: Our Independence Day? Yes. We just watched the clip from the movie Independence Day to get in the mood. Did it help? Nope. It was like, (laughs) wait, BYU wants to get into the Big 12, so what's the point of this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it was uh, 2010, six years ago on September 1st, BYU declared independence. They they are—they were—is this a good—was this a good move, a good—where are we?
9: Listen, if BYU gets into the Big 12, it will be the greatest move in the history of BYU sports.
6: Well,
10: regardless of that, in my opinion, it was still a good move because BYU was able to get a contract with ESPN, was able to play better schedules, was able to enable uh, BYU TV to use it to its fullest. Uh, Plus, it
2: created your jobs—
10: I already had a job here. That's true. Uh, but yeah. Um yes. we continue it, to have a job helps. or got a job here in the case yeah. of Spencer. Yeah. Um yeah, I I think it was a good move for BYU uh for BYU football. Now there have been times where it was like, oh, it'd be cool to be back in the Mountain West, but I haven't thought that for a couple of years now.
2: What what do you think the move did for Harambe? <laughs>
10: well, if he could speak, um, <laughs> one, he's a gorilla.
9: It didn't do much for him, but it got his name on a Sign at the Coldplay concert last That's night. That's too shout out. Well,
2: <laughs> he Independence made, did. He made the show. He made the show. Is uh, y- you guys are, are you are you more excited to talk about the season starting, or are you more excited to talk about the the potential expansion of the Big Twelve?
9: It's funny that you asked that because we discussed that very thing yesterday in our pre-production Really. Meeting. For me, it's actual football in two days, man. Play yeah. ball. Let's
10: play ball. That, that's something you can control, right? Hey, play the game, win the game. You play to win the game. <laughs> um, I'm excited for the season, man. Two days away, it's crazy. Okay,
2: what's your, what's your gut feeling on BYU this first game?
10: By, BYU wins by scoring in the 30s and holding Arizona to something in the 20s.
2: Really? Wow, you just knew. You just went right to it.
9: I've been saying it. So, Jerem has given himself a pad of thirty nine to twenty, or thirty one to twenty. I don't do scores.
10: I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. Thirties to yeah. It could be thirty nine to twenty. That's or thirty one to twenty nine. <laughs> which twenty nine is a super weird number.
2: But you know that's a good that's a good spread. But one will be in the 30, BYU will be in the thirties, and Arizona will be in the twenties.
9: Twenty nine is a prime number, right? I was just thinking about that. Yes. Mm.
2: What's, uh, what's your so take, Spencer? Isn't
10: 31 also prime?
9: My take is that BYU will score at least 27 points, mm. and they will beat Arizona. It would be very disappointing if BYU lost this game.
2: Do you think the offense is going to blow us away?
9: I don't know that the offense will blow us away just because of the way it's designed. I think people will Pretty look at what BYU used nature. to do under Robert and I and in the yeah. recent past, and go fast, go hard, and running a ton of plays. Granted, they slowed down last year, but still, just the excitement created by the offense BYU is running compared to the pro style, it's just it just feels kind of boring because it's like, all right, run off tackle, uh, play action pass to the tight end for five yards.
6: Right. They'll uh, okay. make a
9: play-action pass. Yeah, full-back dive up the middle, first down. You know. Yeah, it, 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 chip,
2: chip, 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 chip. Exactly.
9: Chip. It's going to be more methodical, more chip away, and it might not be as exciting as fans hope for, but then there's this dynamic of BYU has Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams who are both capable of doing something special on any given boring play. Mm-hmm. So there will be some, whoa, but... Overall, I think more methodical.
2: Taysom Hill's fourth year starting for the Cougars.
9: Taysom, gonna Taysom.
2: (laughs) Taysom, gonna Taysom. Taysom,
10: gonna taste, 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 taste.
2: I love that song. I didn't know that was about Taysom. It was. Twas. Twas. Hey, uh, you guys still doing your show though, right? We certainly are. Props, Bob. Props, Haram. Harambe. Harambe. (laughs) Haram. I'm trying to find a little nickname. It's a hard name to... You can call him Bay. Just call him Harry. <laughs>
9: <laughs> Don't call or bae, him Bay, yeah, Bay.
2: Bay? Harambe hey, is Bay. Uh, what's, so what's, uh, what's on your show?
9: Oh, we've got... So we've got an interesting show today because we feature Stuart Mandel of Fox Sports. And he has spoken a ton on Big 12 Expansion. And quite frankly, he was one of the outspoken guys that said that Big 12 Expansion was not going to happen this year. And then all of a sudden, the script was flipped, and mm. they're like, "Yeah, we're uh, fully going to explore expansion." Uh, it was a unanimous vote, and so it'll be interesting to hear what he says about that and where the Big Twelve in his circles stands in terms of expansion. Not to mention, he projected a ton of points in the BYU Arizona game. Really? Yes.
2: And so, in favor of BYU,
9: five, a, a ton of offense,
2: on both sides.
9: Well. Forty-five, forty. Wow. Why? Why is he calling for a forty-five, forty game?
10: Because dem defenses stink, Spence. Does that's BYU's thinks, defense stink, though? Man. If they're giving up 40? Yeah.
9: I don't think they're going to give up 40. I don't think so either. Well,
10: but why that's, does, that's why his, does he think that they're yeah. going to give up 40? Yeah, you've got to pick
2: ask his him. brain. Yeah. yeah.
10: We will ask him. Plus, we went uh, two-on-one with Mike Empey. He gave us some news regarding the status of Kyle Johnson and Brad Wilcox, who – Uh, a little bit unexpectedly, haven't been uh, in the mix in fall camp. you will tell us why and if they will play at all this season. They're returning starters on the O-line.
9: Also, in the Hmm. words of our good friend Tom Petty, Matt Townsend, (laughs) BYU is running down a dream. Wow.
10: Free horses? Oh, wait, that's the Jimmy Fallon's.
9: Taysom Hill, Jamal Williams, they are back. Yeah. And they haven't been back for a full season since 2013, meaning they made it through the season healthy. Both oh, of
2: them. boy, bosom
9: buddies. But they did something extraordinary that season when they got through it healthy. So we will dive into what that means or could potentially mean for BYU in 2016.
2: Mm. This is exciting. It it's almost reminds, deal, no me. Deal. It reminds me of the spirit of Harambe Arambe. coming back at a Coldplay concert. So,
10: someone... <laughs> Someone sang into our ears. I know who it is. Uh, but they sang, one of our crew members sang uh, the song Zombie by the Cranberries. Yeah. But as Harambe. Harambe. It was excellent. Maybe
2: we'll have you guys debut that tomorrow.
9: Harambe.
2: It was. Whoa, you okay, Spence?
10: <laughs> yeah, we got to go now. That's good. You guys got to go work we it. End up, work we got to end on that note.
9: Harambe, Harambe stuff out. On those notes.
2: Peace out, yos. How
9: did the Cranberries get popular with that song? Well, they're. Topic for another day. Okay.
10: We'll
2: bring that up tomorrow.
6: <laughs> All
9: right, Matt.
2: Best of luck to you, gents.
9: Thanks.
10: That, Goodbye.
2: That's the top of the that's just five minutes away. You can go enjoy the Harambe boys. They I'm telling you, they are in the know. They went to Coldplay. One of them come on, Spencer goes to Coldplay. What'd you do? I went to a court of honor. He goes to Coldplay. What a life. What a life he lives! Hey, uh, crazy little story about a guy out of Argentina. I lived in Argentina for two years. Pedro Luca has become a legend in San Pedro de Colalao, where he's lived in a cave for 40 years. The 79 year old Argentine survives without running water or electricity in his cavern high in in a mountain in northern Tucuman province. When he gets hungry, he picks up his rifle and goes hunting. Or heads uh, on a three-hour trek down the mountain to the nearest settlement. Uh, he has cave uh, mates. His the cave mates are eleven roosters, two goats that roam the mountainside during the day and return at night looking for shelter from pumas and other predators. He has a fire that he's you know keeps the cave warm, and every day the roosters wake him up about three a.m. in the morning.
3: I'm not dead! Think I'll go for a walk? (laughs) I feel
2: happy! A little audio from Pedro Luca in the cave. How cool to live in a cave? I mean, I'm assuming, you know, rent is low. I live there, and I know where Tucumán is, and, you know, kind of a cold place. We, uh, we've got to, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story, and this is one of the great stories. We'll post a, an image of this on our Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. Florida State wide receiver Travis Rudolph will be an impact player for the Seminoles offense on the field this season. But on Tuesday, he played an even more important role off the field just by taking some time out of his day to have lunch with a middle schooler with autism who normally eats alone. Rudolph was at the middle school Tuesday afternoon when he spotted the student sitting by himself, so he walked over and decided to enjoy a couple of slices of pizza with the boy. Little did he know why this child was sitting alone, nor the impact his simple, sweet action would have on the boy's mother. Basically, so Travis sits down, has lunch with the guy, and this boy is a boy that no one sits by. He's autistic, and uh, Travis just sat and, and had lunch with him. And this is what uh, the mother wrote about on her Facebook page. She said, now that I have a child starting middle school, I have feelings of anxiety for him. And they can be overwhelming if I let them. Sometimes I'm grateful for his autism. That may sound like a terrible thing to say. But in some ways, I think, I hope it shields him. He doesn't seem to notice when people stare at him, when he flaps his hands. He doesn't seem to notice that he doesn't get invited to birthday parties anymore. He doesn't seem to mind if he eats lunch alone. It's one of my daily questions for him. Was there any time today you felt sad? Who did you eat lunch with today? Sometimes the answer is a classmate, but most days it's nobody. Except for the other day when Travis Rudolph sat down and had lunch with his son. And uh, anyway, the mom didn't even know who he was. So a true hero. Travis Rudolph, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show and Florida State. Uh, You know, sometimes these players get get bad press, but this is a guy that did it. He was just a sweet... Boy, taking care of a sweet boy—that's uh, that's a hero for you. That's why we do the show, folks—to let you know there's good in the world. You may not always see it, you may not always feel it, but I want you to also know you're part of that good. One guy, Travis, doing a good deed, could change the life of a family and at least create a little peace for somebody. So that's the challenge for all of us. Let's go out. Let's make some peace. Change the world. Take care of each other and just be there for each other. Till tomorrow. Take care. Talk about good. BYU Radio.
4: Hi, I'm Sam Payne, host of The Appleseed.
9: Join me as we listen to storytelling by the world's best storytellers with tales that are funny,
4: adventuresome, and thought-provoking. Join me weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. FM HD2 Provo.
9: on BYU Sports Nation, running down a dream. What kind of production do you expect from a reloaded BYU rushing attack?
10: Fox Sports' Stuart Mandel anticipates a lot of offense in Saturday's game. He'll join us live with his projected point total. And will BYU get into the Big 12? Plus, the mastermind
9: of the BYU offensive line, Mike Empey. What does he expect from his guys after losing two significant players? Let's go.
3: This is BYU Sports Nation. Brought to you by... The BYU Store, simulcast on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem
9: Jordan. BYU Sports Station live in Radio Vision presented by the BYU.